Welcome to episode 29 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. And I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. And with us for episode 29 is... Don Zimmerman, the anime guy. What? Did we officially dub you with that title, or, yeah. or was that a bit of self-naming right there? I, I just came up with it just right. now. I like it, I like it. It's not really creative. Like. Yeah, it's, it's very original. <laughs> <laughs> Much like our podcast. <laughs> Don is back, so we're going to get edumacated again on anime. Always a pleasure. It's great to be back. Yeah. The lying begins early. Yeah, just got to suck up a little bit at first. <laughs> and of course, this is our first recording since coming back from Gen Con. I was supposed to record one with Sarah, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen because of squirrels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's see. Do we have a... Yes, we need to pick a winner for Cards Against Humanity. We will do that, but uh, we... Still need to listen to some, like I said. We we haven't seen each other much since Gen Con, and, and uh, you can't fault us for that, because I think by the time Gen Con was over, Jordan and I really didn't want to see each didn't, other very much. Didn't. No, no. Had enough. Done. Don't talk to me. It was good to have a week off. <laughs> Facebook was amazingly quiet. <laughs> In fact, uh, uh, we're going to do some Gen Con uh, wrap-up or recap for our geeking out topic, but uh, just to drive that point home... I was the main point of contact for everybody that wanted to get a hold of us at Gen Con. So all of our correspondence was going directly to my phone, and we got home. We went to Michael's for game night on Thursday night. My phone went off, and what was your response? I hate that sound. <laughs> that, that's, how, that's, that's how much coordination we were doing at Gen Con, how much communication we were doing at Gen Con. <laughs> And my response was, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> September 14th is the next RGC game day at Godfather's Pizza. That's a Saturday, so come on out and game with us. I believe I'm going to be able to make it. I think you said you were going to make it. Don's trying to figure out if he can be there. Uh, and we will, uh, you know what, I'll I'll bring some stuff that we just picked up, too, from Gen Con, so... Got some got some cool games that we can bring along and teach some people. So again, September fourteenth at Godfather's Pizza. All right, you guys ready to geek out? Sure. Let's geek out. This is a podcast, by the way. The head Nobody shake. saw your head shake. Head, head shake doesn't <laughs> do real well. Yeah, the mic was too far away. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, Originally, Jordan and I had talked about putting in the audio that I just released today from all our Gen Con interviews because for us, that seemed to go really quick because they were like five minutes a piece and we were doing them back and forth and stuff. So we're like, oh, we'll just take that little bit of audio and throw that in here and then we'll do a quick re recap. Well, that audio after I finally pulled it off was an hour long. So I released that today. So you guys should already hopefully be uh, listening to that. Didn't turn out too bad. I listened to parts of it. I, once I got everything filtered and stuff, I kind of jumped through to make show notes, and it sounded pretty decent. I was a little worried because of all the background noise, because uh, I also threw in the uh, Catalyst Games one at the front. Hmm. 
which was actually recorded separately and at the Catalyst booth. Deep Saturday with tons of people passing by, one of the busiest days. So, And we've got to start letting people know where they need to hold that mic. Because... <laughs> You could barely, while I was trying to edit it, you could barely hear anybody but you and I. But luckily, with all the filtering and stuff, it actually turned out okay. But it was kind of hard to edit at first because I don't like to do that part of it until everything's clean so it doesn't screw it up too much. But uh, luckily, it did turn out. And God, what do we? There must have been eight to 10 people yep. easily that we talked to. So that's a it was a good session. Yeah, it's 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 a good one. Go listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. That I believe I put it out as the uh, Gen Con interviews special or something like that. So uh, check that out. But, we'll put a in case you missed it up on Twitter a couple times. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so what we're gonna do is just kind of a recap. Now I thought maybe uh, we'll keep the geeking out topic kind of short because what we'll do here since we have what we played and I figured. Probably some of what we put in our plate is from Gen Con. At least I know we did. I'm assuming you did too. Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, did you forget? Uh, come on. Come on, guy with, yeah, with two did. pages of notes. I did. I thought we'd just recap maybe some of the non-gamey kind of things that we, we looked at uh, or we were highlights for us for Gen Con this year and then talk about the games in the game section. So, Don, how was your Gen Con? Oh, Gen Con was fantastic. A lot of so fun. So where were you? <laughs> um, half the time trying to sleep in the hotel, but the rest of the time having a great time wandering around mostly, and I had a lot of events scheduled, a lot of things to do. So Saturday night, nobody nobody knew if you were alive. What was the deal there? I was <laughs> at an event. <laughs> all day? All Pretty much all day at events, yeah. What are you, his mother? <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very concerned when the guys that are sharing a room with you didn't wanted to know if you were still alive or not. It was crazy getting back there at midnight and knowing some people wanted to leave early in the morning, and there was nobody in my hotel room. I was totally confused. Yeah, <laughs> we were out a little bit late that night. <laughs> I don't think that night broke up until around what two, two thirty. Yeah, it was it was close to three, I think. But yeah. I thought it was about two, two. Th- yeah, I was like, "Am I in the wrong room? What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, and the sad thing is, for like Jordan and I, like we were uh, the original plan was we were going to go back, and everybody wanted to learn the Pathfinder card game. So I had two days I spent reading the rules after hours to get through them all. Got back there, and we didn't play it. We ended up talking the entire time because everybody else had started uh, Zombie Side. Ha. So uh, us and Cyrus was supposedly playing, <laughs> but he he pulled off and we all had this conversation because uh, the guys from Epic Slant Press came with us and they hadn't met Cyrus yet and stuff. And we had a good conversation with them. And by the time that was done, I think, what, Kurt and those guys came through briefly mm-hmm. like a tornado. That's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we just had a conversation. And then by the time we were all done with that, it was yeah, we we were done. I don't know if they played anything else. That's a Gen Con. People go there for lots of different reasons, right? Yeah. And you go there, and Kurt and them go there for being with the guys and hanging out and talking and stuff like that. I go there to play games with people I don't ever get to play games with, playing games that I never get to play. So I'm happy, you know, signing up for my events, doing my own thing, uh, going to bed when I go to bed instead of trying to follow you guys around. Which again, I brought up. <laughs> If, no, we no. All, if we all just throw in 300 bucks or something, we could have a <laughs> hell of an event without driving that long. I know. Indianapolis is a long ways to go just to hang out together, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, but we got to meet the superior Kirby, you know, instead oh, of, that is, well, instead I, of just I, getting I've, I've met Pete. Oh, yeah, that was you. That instead was of just inferior movie. Kirby. Yeah. So. <laughs> so what was the overall highlight then for you? Easily my Saturday night. At that point, I had almost no sleep. Not due to lack of trying. I just a ter- I'm a terrible sleeper and not used to sleeping in a room full of a bunch of snoring people. <laughs> and I, I was at the point where I was almost fainting just walking around. I thought, oh, I have a four-hour RPG Saturday night. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can do this. But I went, and it was ridiculously fun. Probably the best RPG experience I've ever had in my life. was not hard to stay awake at all. Laughing so hard I couldn't breathe. What system was that? It was a success system, which is fairly new. Okay. System's fine, but it really comes down to the players and the GM, right? You, you do realize that at your lead-up to that and about being loopy and almost fainting... Not really sure if you have a lot of credibility and if that was an awesome system or not. <laughs> I'll put it this way. It woke me up pretty fast, and man, it was a blast. It's awesome when you're sleep-deprived. Yeah. Every, everything's cool, man. <laughs> Things are funny. That's that's true. That is true. That, yeah. <laughs> Jordan? Yeah, I had a, a very good time. I guess I didn't really need to think about that. I had a very good time. Uh, I came home uh, unsick. That was that was the high point. No con crud on this boy. Although, come Saturday night, with all the coughing that was going on and the molestation that occurred, I, I thought that was going to be in doubt, but no, I got away unscathed. You uh, wonder why I don't show up for these things. <laughs> what? What? You've never, you've never molested your friends before? It's been a long time. <laughs> High point, I think, was getting to talk to uh, one of the co-designers of Attack Wing. He was there at the WizKids booth. Uh, he did not initially announce it as such, but he was just there running some of the tournament. And uh, I was waiting, and we just got to talking, and I had, I, was, I made a random observation, and he was like, well, that's because. Well, that's some interesting inside knowledge. Well, I helped design it. Oh, well, okay then let us talk so that was a good uh i don't know talk to him for about an hour before he went off shift he'd been he'd been there since uh i guess nine o'clock so he'd been there for easily 12 13 hours just doing stuff whiz kids really shafted the attack wing people they only had two people <laughs> to do everything and again this was your first gen con so yeah uh, successful successful event for you and Yes. You you will return sometime in the future. I know you've got uh, iffy plans for next year because you've got several travel things that you want to do next year. But, well, uh, you know, Powerball willing. There you go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I got another question for you, actually, though. Uh, were you okay with, did it work out okay for you for the little bit of uh, meet and greedy type stuff that we did have to do? I know that's not your oh, it burned. favorite thing. It, it burned a lot. But no, all, all the people that I got to talk to at least were very good. Epic Slant and uh, Cardboard uh, Edison. Yeah, Cardboard and, Edison. And, you know, yeah, those people. Oh, and uh, oh, not Spectre. Uh, Lens, Brian Lens, Brian Lens yeah. from uh, yeah. Grand Con. Grand Con. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is why I'm the point of contact. <laughs> I understand. Well, I was not expecting the full. <laughs> Well, you started it. Well, you could have just you could have just left off with yeah the people I got stuck to. The, were good. The, the sad thing is, I listened to the spot you put up like an hour and a half ago. This should be fresh. You didn't need to dig your hole deeper. You just didn't. No, it, it can't get deeper. Our listeners know me. 
<laughs> no, yeah, we, we, we got really lucky. We did get to talk to some really good people. And uh, being able to put the faces to people I talk to all the time on Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff and emails was a lot of fun. I, that was one of the high points for me. And it's kind of a cliche uh, answer, and I know we got it a lot during the interview, but it really is true. I mean, it, it, I got there. Uh, there were so many people that either I had, we had interviewed, like uh, David Brewstrom. Did you ever get to meet David? Did you no. ever go? Ah, oh, that sucks. People like David Brewstrom and uh, Adam Trezanowski and and the whole Epic Slant Press gang and all everybody that we got to meet. And these are people that we've talked to off and on. Uh, again, either on the show or through email or Twitter conversations, all that good stuff. And we said it during the interview, but it really is true. It's it's crazy all these connections you make in a 140-character universe. <laughs> I mean, the amount of reach and different people that are willing to do stuff with you and you know interview and, and have conversations and start some kind of relationship – uh, is amazing 140 characters at a time and it all you know all kind of boils down to starting at 140 characters at a time so that was a lot of fun uh this after school moment has been brought to you by all warm geeks. fuzzy and i gotta say michael co michael co from gameland games that is the happiest dude in the world that guy is just he's great it was great to talk to him it was just even standing around waiting for his time to interview with somebody, just smile ear to ear. And, and I, I, I commented about it. To I feel him. certain he had some sort of magical item on him that was just emitting an aura. <laughs> wasn't, it, of, wasn't it? You know, just, it was just amazing. And I, I, I talked to him about, it. I gave him a little crap. I was like, you've got to be the happiest guy I know. And he's like, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, dude. Look at, look at what I do for a living. Look at, you know, and he's like, and the whole time I've been here, my wife's been sending me pictures of our child. And so it was just, it was just a great thing to be involved in and to be able to do some introductions too. That was a new thing for me. And that was kind of cool. The fact that people that we know that don't know each other and that should know each other and be working together and getting to introduce them and seeing like a partnership form in front of our eyes. That was kind of cool. I got to say that was a high point as well. So I didn't get to play a whole lot of stuff. I feel certain. Con. I feel certain your elbow must have been sore by the end of the week because I do, <laughs> I don't know how many times I saw you go. Oh well, come over here, and I'm making an elbow <laughs> swishing motion. Come over here, and I'll introduce you. <laughs> it's it's just a cool thing, and it, it, I'm kind of. I don't know. I, I don't know how I I know I know sometimes we joke around, and I'm a smart ass here, and I'm a smart ass in person a lot of times, but. I do have a genuine love of building community and that's where it got really cool to me. Cause these are all people I just assumed like, you know, they're letting us into their little world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm not a catalyst for anything, but I got to find out there are people, you know, there are people that don't know each other, especially on the indie side. Right. I mean, these are all, all people trying to make their way right now too. And they don't necessarily know each other. And we were able to, facilitate that that was kind of cool to me i mean that was just a really nice cool moment where it was like you're good people you're good people good people should know each other but you're not you're you're Um, out of the circle let's not go down that path (laughs) because that's where i start being a dick again (laughs) but that had to be a highlight for me all right so uh do you have a low point don do you have a a disappointment, a low point, something that wasn't quite right for you at Gen Con this year? Yeah, the lack of sleep. 
how I could just lay there being dead tired, not sleep every night. Oh my gosh, Jordan. I did not get to go to Fogo de Chao. We talked oh, about that's that right. going to yeah, the Brazilian yeah. steakhouse, and we did not manage to pull that off. We didn't pull that one off, and we didn't pull off our our lunch, the lunch we wanted to leave town on. Well, that's only because they weren't open at noon. A little bit of research would have quashed that dream early, but but no, we <laughs> held on to it till Sunday, boy. But let's be disappointed on the last day. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I got, I don't know. Uh, I think one of my low points or one of my disappointments. I, there are a couple of things that I, I was not happy that we missed out on. I wasn't happy that we didn't get a chance to either, or I didn't. I don't know. I don't know if you did demo the Crossfire or Fifth Edition Shadowrun. Didn't get to do either of those. I did demo the Crossfire. Did you? Mm-hmm. All right. See, you're one up on me there. And then the Much other one. like my T-shirt. <laughs> Let's not go there either. Let's not have that conversation. You're lucky I didn't wear it again today. <laughs> and then Corey Young, I t- uh, I've talked about it in the interviews, and we'll talk about it later. But you know, he taught me grav well. But he had Santorini with him, and said, "Yeah, when you come back through, I'll pull this out and show it to you." And and it looks like such a beautiful game that he's shopping around right now. I really did want to see it, but I never got to make it back there while he was still there. So that was a kind of a down point for me i really wanted to see that in person because the pictures have just been beautiful so those are a few of mine i guess so anything else you want to uh, say about gen con 2013 don Nah, it was awesome that's all i got to say <laughs> i'd like to apologize to the jw marriott um <laughs> if any you of you are listening uh yeah i didn't actually fire off a shotgun into your toilet that was just <laughs> that was the end of the kidney stones passing Oh, that could have went so many ways. <laughs> That's a picture I did not need. Nobody ever needs it. I just share it. Gen Con 2013 was an awesome, awesome time. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that have never gone. This was Jordan's first time. We actually ran into two or three people, random people, that would just tell us it was their first time. Remember that guy and his kid? Yeah. Do you remember your first Gen Con? Yep, living it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's going to be an uncomfortable remembrance later on when I talk about the kid that looked like he got forced to go to Gen Con for the first time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, and I know there's a lot of uh, game designers and, and all that good stuff that are always talking about, yeah, I should go, I should go. You really should, at least once. You got to go at least once. And even if it's not to game, I mean, just check out your network of people and get to know those people in person because your network will grow. There's no way your network can't grow off of off of going to Gen Con because there's so many people around. I mean, we got to meet two or three, uh, a handful, really, of first-time designers that, mm-hmm. that uh, were checking out Gen Con because they want to bring a game later and... Again, we got to help them meet other people, and and they got to ask us questions and stuff. Just it, it's a wealth of knowledge beyond this whole gaming experience, right? That you can, I mean, you can attend and use the experience however you want to. If you just want to game, hey, <laughs> go for it. There, there's no lack. Yeah, and you know, aside from the gaming, I think uh, you know, uh, the most fun I had was well. It was half fun, half depressing, because I certainly didn't have the budget to spend what I wanted to. But artists row there is just awesome. The four or five rows of artist booths, you know, there's something there for everybody. And there was a lot of stuff there that I was like, oh, I'll take that. I'll take that. Oh, you have that in 50 by 60? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that, too. Oh, it's $1,000? Then no, no, I, I guess I will not take that. But, yeah, some excellent stuff. And, of course, to bring it, bring it back, because we haven't said it in a while, but uh, 
Jordan bought a High School of the Dead messenger bag. Yes, I did. <laughs> so High School of the Dead. I actually bought some anime stuff there too. Wasn't planning on it, but there was a voice actor I'd never met before. I had to get it signed. Well, there you go. Nice. All right, so that's our uh, geeking out topic on Gen Con 2013. All right, Don, educate us about some anime, my friend. I'll try to do that. First, talking about some things. Well, first, we're in the middle of the summer season right now, or actually we're getting close to the end of it, the summer anime season. This one, uh, there's a lot of good stuff this time around, or actually kind of seems like it's either really weak or really, really good. Some of the ones that are looking really great are stuff that, Holdovers from last season, like Attack on Titan and certain Scientific Railgun S. Uh, some of the other ones are new series are starting up that are sequels or remakes or some other relation to some previous series, like Monogatari, Fake Khalid, Genshiken, are all looking great. And there's a few new ones, too. Hyperdimension, Neptunia, Free, Iwatobi Swim Club. Some other ones getting really good reviews. So there's a lot of uh, fantastic-looking stuff right now. And uh, give me a year, I'll get it all watched. I have no doubt. <laughs> uh, some reporting on some things I talked about last time I was on. One of them, Anime Souls, the streaming slash crowdfunding horribly run site. <laughs> <laughs> of their eight initial launch titles, all eight have finished. And to my great surprise, two of them actually funded. The first six did not. The last two in the, the 11th hour suddenly did. With Creamy Mommy getting nearly $28,000 with 236 backers. And I think I've seen that movie, but it wasn't anime. <laughs> I, I knew someone would say something. <laughs> Creamy Mommy is a, a classic Magical Girl show that kind of kicked off the Magical Girl singer genre. Uh, and then Blackjack TV series with over $23,000 with 230 backers. Now, if you did some quick math in your head, wow. you, you heard that they donated on average over a hundred dollars a piece. Which surprises me. I put in forty. And you know I'm kind of a nutcase with stuff like this. That's some dedication. I put in forty dollars for the box set, the D V D box set, and that's and you know, not much else with it. You go up to a hundred dollars you get like a digital wallpaper and a <laughs> sticker or something. You get like almost nothing. And you have to go way higher to get like, you know, lunch with a crater or something like that. So that on average, it was $100 a piece, and they just barely funded both of these. So I'm kind of scratching my head about the future prospects here. Are, are people going to keep pushing it that hard in the future? Now, this is the first box set of multiple for both of these series. This is the first 12 episodes out of you know uh, 60, I think, for Creamy Mommy. So I'm hoping the rest get funded, but I don't really have my hopes up here because I don't think people are going to keep going that average. But, of course, Anime Souls is really exciting. Like, oh, everything we're doing is working. Great. So we're picking up new shows. Yeah, that's kind of weird, though. I mean, it's it's not exactly a great percentage of things that you've presented versus funded either. No, two out of eight is not a great number. <laughs> and the other ones failed miserably, getting maybe like two dozen backers at most, some of them. So 
I'm like, okay, if you guys think you can keep going, but I think you're already s- stretching what you got. They finally decided what to do with their streaming ones. Before I said they were going to keep them online as long as they were keeping the crowdfunding part going mm-hmm. and didn't know what they would do af- after that. Well, they decided we're going to leave them online for an indefinite amount of time. Could take them down anytime, but they won't put any new ones on. So I guess it's better than taking them down immediately, but <laughs> it could go down anytime. So kind of not really better at all. So I'm not really happy with them, but I'm getting a couple box sets out of them. Hopefully they'll be of some sort of quality. Fate Zero I talked about last time was getting dubbed, and it recently got a release, a DVD and Blu-ray announcement. And I guess this is my horrible truth of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Darn those Aniplex bastards, seriously. (laughs) And now, it's time for Don's Horrible News. Oh, no. It's 25 episode series being split into two halves. Nothing surprising there. First half on DVD is $88. Second part, $75, which is pretty expensive. Yeah. It's probably like twice as much as I'd expect to pay, at least for the first set. How much is the Blu ray premium? There, there's the horrible truth part $188, (sighs) $175. Wowzers. I actually paid that. Because <laughs> there's the horrible and Don's truth. horrible shopping truth. <laughs> it comes with some extra benefits like soundtrack. I mean, a couple extra things, but totally not worth it. But the bo- <laughs> but Fate- instantly, I regretted that purchase. Ah, uh, you know, the Blu-ray. I love that show is so good, and to get the Blu-rays for it, just I couldn't resist it. But all oh, those bastards, really, a hundred dollars more per set, and they were already expensive. That's yeah. just sick. And yet, here's my money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't do it for Sword Art Online. I did it for Fade Zero. Uh, well, yeah. I'm sure they'll keep doing it in the future, too. Okay, that's done with my opener. Now, to my discussion topic, or Don blathering on, depending on how you like the segment. Yes. <laughs> uh, this one actually ties in to what I talked about last time and what I plan to talk about next time. I'd like to talk about the state of the anime industry today. Now, if you go on the internet and ask how the anime industry is doing, I'm sure you'll hear tons of doom and gloom because, you know, it's the internet. But how is it really? I mean, we all look around, we see the... Hold on, let me ask the internet. Doom and gloom. Doom, doom, doom. (laughs) Uh, You look at Best Buy, their anime section has decreased rapidly. Uh, (laughs) Their entire chain decreased (laughs) rapidly. (laughs) There's that too. Disappeared off of TV for quite a while. It doesn't look good right now. So how is it for real? Okay. Well, back in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, anime in the U.S. had a huge boom. Now I'm going to talk about the U.S. and Japan because those are the major markets I know about. I know you have tons and tons of international listeners. Yeah, you really need to let our Ukrainian fan know what's going on with anime in the Ukraine. (laughs) And our dude, I assume dude, in Yemen. Yeah. But the two big markets are, of course, Japan and the U.S., and a lot of the other markets are built off of what America does anyway. So in the early 2000s, America boomed. Uh, the companies that were releasing stuff exploded, putting out a huge amount of, amount of material. No, no. Keep, <laughs> keep You're doing work. it live. <laughs> keep working it. 
Ah, uh, behind the scenes. If only you had joined us on Google Hangouts right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Drop my paper. Great. <laughs> You'll see stuff exploded at, at Best Buy, Barnes and Nobles. Suddenly started stocking a ton of manga. Uh, TV, Cartoon Network. First, well, Dragon Ball Z, Cart, uh, Cowboy Bebop, Gundam Wing. These things took off huge, and Cartoon Network got a ton and ton of stuff. Then all these companies started releasing huge amounts of material. Everything was looking up. It was the golden years. Everything was wonderful. And then it seemed like almost overnight, the bubble burst and everything fell apart. It was uh, mid to late 2000s, somewhere around 2008, I think it was, where some of these big distribution companies just up and disappeared. Best Buy cut back. It all went off TV. What the heck happened? Did all the money just vanish? Where did it go? Well, I don't know the story of all the companies because it's insider information, but I do know about Genion Entertainment, which was one of the big ones from the day, as one of their big guys did a fantastic interview a while later talking about what really happened during that time frame. While these things were exploding, the sales weren't what you thought they were. In fact, according to this Genion guy, they didn't rate their series by how much money they made, but how much money they didn't lose. All of their shows, all of them, lost money. I suspect some of them maybe made some money, but in general, they were all losing money, and they were still cranking them out. Now, Genian was owned by a Japanese parent company, and the Japanese company's way of fixing the problem, do more product, which I don't think it takes a genius to understand that doing more failing product isn't going to save you, but that's what they kept doing. They kept getting more licenses, putting out more product, Cranking out as, as fast and as hard as they could, faster and faster. Accelerating to their own doom, really. Now, while this was happening, the cost of licenses were, were skyrocketing. As all these companies were fighting over these licenses, and the Japanese were like, sure, yeah, we'll keep raising the price until you know get the highest better. You know, supply and demand. But on the sales side, it just wasn't there. So it was really an inevitability that the whole thing would burst. Or... And calling it burst almost isn't right. It's really more of a reset to what it's supposed to be. Is really what happened at, in the 2008-ish time frame. And things really uh, went down. Genyon went down. ADV Films. Central Park Media. A whole uh, band I just f- recently finally died. Uh, a lot of these major ones from that time frame disappeared. And uh, kind of a slow rebuild up from there. Things have gotten a lot better here now. But... Uh, it's, it's not what it was before, but there's still there's now a ton of product being done, and on the streaming side, especially th- things have really really taken off, and there's a lot of stuff streaming. But let me step back for a second, and when this bubble burst here in the U.S., how did it affect Japan? I think well, it's an anime is a Japanese product, it's made mostly for Japanese people. It probably didn't affect them much at all, right? No. In reality, anime is usually made at a loss today. That is. They don't make enough on TV advertisement to pay for the show. They make it up in merchandising, uh, overseas sales, that sort of thing. So when these licenses are skyrocketing in prices, yeah, things are going really well in Japan. And these licenses would pay for whole new shows. And when that money suddenly disappeared, it hit them really hard too, as you might expect. Uh, Some major production companies either disappeared or just became a shadow of themselves almost overnight. Uh, The whole thing changed very suddenly, and it was kind of a big question of, will it even recover at all from here? And it it has, and today they're putting out a huge amount of stuff, you know, like 50-some series per quarter. 
uh, going on at one time plus. So, I, I mean, it looks okay right now, but I mean, knowing what they did with Jenny on, I don't know if I trust them. <laughs> well, what happened to them? Because they, I saw them on, uh, associated with Lake Stein's Gate. Oh, Jenny on Japan still exists. Jenny on USA was closed up. Oh, okay. I gotcha. The, the USA branch was. Same thing with Bandai Entertainment USA is the, um, the U.S. owned part of the Bandai name. So how does the product get affected by all this? Oh, is the product today just terrible? I, okay. If you go on the internet and you ask people, I'm sure the, I'm sure what you hear is everything today sucks. Now, let me just shoot that one down right off the bat. I got th- three good reasons to shoot that one down. Number one, it's the, it's no longer different thing. When people first get into anime and they get excited about it, a lot of it is because it's new and different. The whole storytelling structure, the language behind it, is all very different than the Western. Now, there's been a lot of cross-cultural going on over the years, both in Hollywood and Japanese side. But in general, it's coming from a different place, and it's got a different language to it. And it's, when you first start watching it, it's all new and exciting. And of course, when you're watching shows for the first time, you don't realize if they're der- derivative because you've never seen what they what they're derived from. Like a Gundam wing taking off in the U.S. People didn't realize how derivative it was of the original Gundam series. It was just new and exciting. So if you look today and you look, well, it's not, there's nothing good. Well, part of that is because it's not new and exciting to you anymore. You've gotten used to it. You know what, you know the language now. Part two is that best of everything. You get a, you know, there's been many lists of Hollywood movies of best hundred of all time, best 50, whatever. Do those lists change every year? Do you get 20 new show, uh, movies on there for the latest year? No. It's pretty rare that, you know, things sneak onto that list because best of all time is a pretty high bar. So when people think back to comparing to what's today to their five series that the best ever that they love the most, well, of course, it's not going to measure up. It's pretty rare that you're going to get a new series that's going to be one of your top favorites. So it's kind of a rose-colored glasses. You're looking back at it, oh, and these five shows are so great. Well, they're spread across a number of years, and you've forgotten the countless other shows in those same years that you also saw and just you know forgot about over time. And then third, this is the one that really annoys me the most. <laughs> when people say, oh, there's nothing good today. I'm like, well, did you watch this show? Oh, no, I didn't see that one. Okay, uh, did you watch this other one? No, I never heard of that one. Okay, how about this one? No, no. And when you really ask them, okay, what did you watch? Well, they watched maybe two episodes of a couple shows that looked like one of their favorites from the past. Didn't measure up after an episode or two, and they gave up. And they declared the whole season is wasted. That's just not fair. You you can't say there's nothing good today unless you watch it all. Okay, so off my soapbox. I feel like, I feel like we should be on the floor cross-legged in front of you. <laughs> Tell me more, Uncle Don. <laughs> okay, as a person who does watch everything, or at least as much as I can watch legally here, I do feel I have... <laughs> A little bit of right to actually. There's a couple talk different ways to take that. <laughs> <laughs> take, and uh, we we listened, we heard your list, so yeah, you, uh, you I, watch I, everything. Yeah, more than is healthy, I'm quite sure. <laughs> but I feel I can actually talk to this a little bit. How has it been affected? How has the product been affected by this whole burst and regrowth thing? Well, apparently they're two hundred dollar Blu-rays. <laughs> <laughs> now the whole Blu-ray thing is another problem, which I might do as a discussion topic some other time. When the market collapsed, the Japanese producers turned inward. They went to where they knew money would be, which was that small set of Japanese otaku that spend money. 
and buy all the DVDs at ridiculous prices or Blu-rays because it costs way more over there, which is a really problem with the Blu-rays here. They buy all the merchandise, all, all that stuff. They're the ones that spend money, and that's where the producers turn to for you know to the safe route, which you can see in Hollywood and stuff too, right? They go to the, the sure bets instead of just taking gambles on things. Well, that's where that's where the market mostly turned to at this point. So you're, it was a lot of shows that were built for that market specifically and they don't have the broader appeal. So stuff that came up before that, stuff like Cowboy Bebop, which did a lot better in the U.S. than Japan, that sort of show is much less likely to get funded from that time period and even into the, today that's true, where these kind of more outside-the-box, more gutsy things to do are much less likely to get funded at all. Instead, they're shooting for the stuff that's, you know, not only just a new hotness, but um, in two particular ways, I see a whole lot of influence. One is boobies. There's a lot of fan service shows being done these days, both on that side of the ocean and now on this side as well, being ported over. And it's very simple. It sells. That That's all there is to it. I, not that I dislike fan service shows, and some are a whole lot of fun, but... There's a a real push toward that side, even sticking it in shows where it just doesn't belong. Really doing a lot of that because you know it makes money. Uh, another way where I'm seeing this, where I talked about Nyarkosan earlier, a lot of the comedy, especially, is really being focused to the otaku market and not any sort of a broader. It's not a, a like a broad comedy that anyone could watch and enjoy. It's for people that n- have seen a lot of stuff and know all this stuff. They'll get it. They'll laugh at it, and they're the ones who are going to spend money on it. Outside of those circles, you're not likely to understand it. So they're not trying to market them outside, which I think is a big negative, especially like over here. Like I can't recommend a lot of these comedy shows because most people won't understand it. Unless you're really deep in that culture and that mindset, it's not for you. That's just all there is to it. So in a sense, it's really hurt the market in that it's very centric shows instead of more broader storytelling. Now there's been some indications over the last couple of years that things are turning around and changing a bit and going back to a little bit more gutsy, broader appeal, especially as these licenses are getting picked up by Crunchyroll and Funimation and others, you know, shooting some money back that way for the broader market. So there's a little bit of push for a broader market, but it hasn't gotten there yet. We're still at the point where now, even if they're really good shows, they're not broad. Uh, where things are going to go for, from here, it's really hard to say. On both sides of the ocean, it's been looking really good, looking up. Streaming here has been really on the up and up, with numerous sites appearing, grabbing licenses, putting stuff up. Well, and Cartoon Network has been getting back into it again as well, right? Yep, they, yep. they started up again, which, like you said before, I mean, they, they got into it huge, and all of a sudden just pulled it all back, and now they're kind of... We're doing it again. Yep, yep. Toonami is back. Yep. That makes us really excited. Putting some shows, some really good shows like Sword Art Online on there. So things are bouncing back. Um, DVD and Blu-ray sales looking good. Um, hopefully these companies that are up now are going to keep going as they are. Or if you're Aniplex, make your stuff cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> but you bought it anyway. So you're proving to them that you will buy it. I, I feel ashamed, actually. <laughs> And our work here is done. <laughs> shame is in the room. Uh, but Don that shame. <laughs> right. 
But that's how I see the state of the industry now and the state of the product now. So uh, you want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what we're planning for next time? You you handed off some DVDs to me. so Well, I haven't got to my review segment oh, yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm s- but My bad. <laughs> I'll shut up now. <laughs> I know I'm going really long, apparently. No, no. 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 no keep... Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I I meant it though. Yeah, I, I saw one set of eyes rolling. Okay, uh, I always want to talk about a show. Yes. Review it, or really just try to talk it up for its greatness. Of all the things I watch, which is a lot, there's really only one that I truly feel fanboyish about. As in, I am just over the top. Shout it from the hills. You know, even when it's terrible, I still love it because it is what it is. And that's One Piece. That monstrous thing called One Piece. So what is this thing? Well, let me give you some stats first. It was created by Eiichiro Oda back in 1997 as a manga series appearing in Weekly Shonen Jump. The anime, which is generally called a shonen action type anime, um, it's a genre where you see stuff like Dragon Ball Z, Naruto, Bleach. They tend to be very long. And have lots of action. And it's, the word shonen is boy. So it's targeted to the boy, boys action show. And it's a market that, or a genre that I usually, I'm, I'm kind of so-so on, like Naruto. Yeah. So-so, bleach. A good, good, bad sometimes, you know. But One Piece somehow just shoots above all that. The anime has been broadcasted since 1999. It is currently over 600 episodes long and has 11 feature films associated with it. Damn. It is huge. It is. You're just trying to be one of the cool kids. If you get in on it, you'll be cool. You know, it's uh, like Naruto, for example. I'm not a big Naruto fan. That's that's like a cool kids thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, you know, the, this type of show I usually don't get into, but One Piece is different. Um, it's also the highest selling manga of all time in Japan. And they've sold over 290 million Tonkobans, which is kind of like their version of an omnibus. Tonkoban. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> they have over 70 volumes out now. With their co- collections from the, the weekly. Uh, volume 61 sold over 2 million copies in three days. Which, you know, if you know your geography, Japan's not that big of an island. Selling 2 million copies in three days, that's actually like a sizable percentage of the population. Marvel, DC, take note. <laughs> Uh, volume 61 also had the highest print run of any book in Japan. Any book. Beating out Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. The series is widely cl- critically acclaimed, both in Japan and abroad. Uh, the manga is released here by Viz. And the anime was originally released by 4Kids Entertainment here in the U.S. Now, I actually read a little bit about this, what happened there, as it's one of the most hated things in the world of anime. <laughs> They actually got it... Even more so than Harmony Gold? Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you don't know the hate for, for One Piece. <laughs> it's, de- it's deserved, too, um, to the point that I think it was a VP of Four Kids said that their reputation was badly injured because of this. Wow. They, they didn't know what they were getting. They got it packaged with a bunch of other shows and looked at it and said, oh, crap, this is not a kid show, but decided to make it into a kid show anyway and stick it on their Saturday morning cartoon block. So they edited it heavily to make it seven and under. 
doing ridiculous drawovers, like a guy holding out a gun. They put like a little arm and hammer sticking out of it, so it just like bonk the guy instead of shooting him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sanji's cigarette he always has in his mouth. When he pulls it out, there's a lollipop on the end. <laughs> they went to ridiculous levels, cutting out full episodes, huge parts of arcs, to try to make it into a kid's show. Also, uh, their dub, which was just terrible. Like, Sanji had this ridiculously bad Brooklyn accent. It was painful to listen to. And they changed most of the line to ridiculous one-liners. Again, you know, make it into kid's show. Painful. Four Kids was pretty hated for that. When they had a chance to drop the license, they did. <laughs> Funimation picked it up and has done a fantastic job with the DVDs. Their fantastic dub, which all their voices were approved by the Japanese creators and Oda himself. And they've just done a, a fantastic job, and now it's back on TV. Like I said, it, it, it's a very rare show for me where something about a click. Now, I had a very weird experience watching it. I watched the four kids version originally. So I'm suffering through this you know, goofed-up version. But still, after a while, something in it started to click. And I started to see like the brilliance of the show behind everything. And when I finally got the real version, the Funimation version, I really, really fell in love with it. And why? Okay, the show itself is about... A world of full of pirates. It's kind of an alternate Earth sort of show in what is their, the, the great pirate era. Tons of pirates running around in this really over-the-top, overblown world. Now, it fits the art style, which is really cartoony when you first look at it, really kind of goofy looking. And they'll do anything with the art. They'll have utterly ridiculous-looking people standing next to really cool-looking people. And they're both really dangerous villains. I know which one I am. <laughs> So do I. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but despite how goofy it looks at first and how wacky this the show can be with its comedy, when it starts getting serious and like that goofy looking villain, you find out how powerful he or she is, it they get really scary actually. And suddenly that, that goofy looking art suddenly looks amazing. And with this art, they do so much with the character designs and the world itself, how they can really go over the top with it. You know, fish the size of mountains and... <laughs> The uh, water spouts that shoot hundreds of miles into the air, stuff like that. They'll, they'll go huge and so broad with everything. But really what makes the show work is heart. And I won't say this about many shows because very few shows have heart anywhere near what this one does. But when you watch enough of it and you start to see underneath it all how the characters are connected, what they mean to each other, this isn't a show like ones like Naruto will go on these long soliloquies about the power of friendship, how important it is to them, and how everyone helped them, and all the stuff like that. One Piece isn't like that. They don't usually go on these soliloquies or talk about it. But when you watch a show and, and you see the history and how these people get together and what they do, you really understand how strong it is under the covers, how its strength is really there. There's one scene in particular that, even on the four kids version, I it kind of hit that trigger and I became a fan where the one character's reaction to the other character's breakdown was just stunning to me. And I'm like, wow, he was right. And it actually kind of changed my outlook on life a little bit too. It was such a strong scene that sometimes we get tied up in things too much and forget about what's really important. But that's the thing with the show. Underneath it all, they understand what's really important. And what it is that ties the people together. And, and this is not like the, the thing that you see all the time in the show, but the, the undercurrent that holds all this other stuff up, all the comedy, all the goofiness. 
all these serious scenes when things get really intense and sometimes very bloody and violent is the connection between the characters. Also, it's the what the characters want to do. The central character is Monkey D. Luffy, who is a kid who wants to be king of the pirates. To do that, he needs to find the One Piece, which is kind of the ultimate treasure left over by the, the ultimate pirate. That's his ultimate goal. He sets out because he's an idiot. He's a complete idiot. He sets out with no plan, no idea how to do it whatsoever. He just wants to find some strong crew and just go for it. And that's why there's 600 plus episodes. <laughs> it starts slow. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, it's not about the destination. That's And that's really a, a story in general. A journey is not really about the destination. We tend to think of it as that. But a journey is about the journey. And that's what the show understands and what the characters understand. While he has this ultimate goal of being the king of the pirates, if he dies without ever achieving that, whether he gets killed or lives a long life and never finds a One Piece, that's okay. Because he's dedicated his life to doing, to, to its search, to following his dream. And that's true for all the characters. Though they have different dreams, I, th- I personally think that they're all attracted to Luffy because they see how he goes after his dreams and they're inspired to follow their own in the same way. So there's this understanding between the show and the, and the characters in the show of what it takes to live your life to the fullest, to hunt down your own dreams. And because of that, the show can go on forever as far as I'm concerned. It's all about the journey. So if they have more adventures, great. They can do that for the, their entire lives as far as I'm concerned. Well, okay, so that begs the question. Jeff made the joke. We're at 600 plus apps <laughs> and 11 movies. Is there like, a level of quality and enjoyment across the whole things, or is like, oh, 2003, we can just ignore that? It's a fantastic question. Now, the show has definitely had ups and downs. There, there's no question about that, especially when you get to the filler stuff, when the anime gets ahead of the manga, and they have to just make stuff up. Some of those aren't are traditionally for any show, not as good as the original, right? But somewhere around episode 500, the Impel Down arc and the one that followed that, I heard of some of the best stuff it's ever done. I'm in 287. I'm seeing some of the best stuff I've ever watched in the show. So the quality level, yeah, it's way up there, and it continues. Part of it is its ability to build this huge world around it. You meet so many characters and and so much stuff in this world. It's a huge, vast world. Is it consistent with itself? Amazingly consistent, which is something that really attracts me. A lot of these shows will be, you know, any character with a name can beat any other villain, right? Mm Mm-hmm. One Piece, no. They ran into this Admiral uh, a few episodes back, and wow. It, it's like, now they're, they're not even on, on par with like the real powerhouses of the world. Not even, not even all of them together. Not even close. It's got this consistency to it. Like, you know, if this person is that powerful, there's people they can beat and people that they can't. And also the consistency of the world where you run into one character, you know, episode 100 or something. It was just like a minor character. That suddenly becomes a major character around episode 450. You just never know who you're going to run into again, who you're going to see again in this huge, vast world. And is this whole thing available over here? Uh, Sort of. <laughs> What's available over here is, so far, 287 episodes on DVD with the dub and everything. And I believe you can get to all those online on Funimation.com as well, as well as some of the other places that they stream stuff. Also, as of a couple years ago, they started streaming... And the same day as the Japanese releases, subtitled. That's been going on for a little while now. I don't know when the first such episode is, but they've been doing that, you know, through now. 
And I think the two points are actually getting close to each other finally. So, yes, it's mostly out in the U.S. There's some stuff in between there that's not. And only two of the movies have been released so far here. And are those, like, critical points, or is that, like, Star Trek, they don't really matter if all you wanted was the TV series? Uh, the movies are just extra stuff. You know, the one that was released here already was just a, a retelling of the Alabasta arc, which is yeah, neat, I guess, but just a retelling. Some of the other ones are just side stories. So they're not important to the story. The story is the, the TV series. And, of course, well, the manga originally, but then the TV's based on that. And uh, how long is it going to go? Well, I think Oda said recently that he feels it's about half done. <laughs> Alrighty then. So it's a series that I can't recommend enough, though there are a couple downsides that I should mention. Number one, it's 600-some episodes. <laughs> Some of which you can't see. (laughs) So, um, yeah, um, it's a big investment. There's no question about that. Another thing is that, like I said before, it's a little slow getting started. Especially the the initial arc has a really annoying character in it. Kind of hard to take for the first few episodes. When I give it to people, I say, here's the first season. We'll watch all of the first season. You have to watch that much to understand the show. To understand the characters and, and, and get a feel for it. It's Babylon 5. There you go, yeah. Kind of. I, I think it works a little differently. People have given it to get into it quicker, but I watched a four kids version. It wasn't until basically the end of the first season that I started really getting into it that way. I think the Funimation version is stronger. It's also now playing on Cartoon Network, though for reasons I don't understand, they started with the fourth season, where I'm saying you should start at the beginning to understand the characters and you know the heart of the show. And they go right to you know, the fourth season, which is... Not one of the stronger arcs either. So I don't really understand it, but okay, I guess. <laughs> At least it's back on TV. But there it is, the massive thing called One Piece. So while you were talking about why you love One Piece, I just wanted to know if you needed Jordan to give you a hug. It kind of sounded like you were wavering there. You, you were having an emotional moment. Jordan's available for a hug if you need one. There are strong moments in One Piece. <laughs> I, I can't get around it. There's... And I'm just thinking about some of these scenes that come back. It's kind of, wow, kind of shake me up a little bit, which, you know, not many shows do that in general, but One Piece is actually able to do that. I saw, it was in an interview, it was an yeah, interview with one of the voice actors who said he was breaking up in the booth one day, and that's never happened to him before in any show, not even on stage acting. So I'm taking it from your questions. You haven't seen any of it either. No. Okay. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. It's yeah, been it's like, been, right. but... <laughs> It's the 600 number that has been daunting <laughs> and the availability of it, you know. No, but understandable. No, I know Don Flicks, so. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. My, my biggest exposure to it is uh, Cyrus telling me about how it's, he can't have his kids watch it anymore. Yeah, I told him off the bat. <laughs> no, it's not a kid's show, but everything about it looks like a kid's show. It looks like it, acts like it, until you start getting into it and you, how, how dark and serious it can be and sometimes violent. And he's talking about just the language, and I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, there's some my language, but it's not a kid show. In fact, <laughs> I think in Indonesia, the broadcasting company got reprimanded for showing it at times when kids could watch it. <laughs> All right, so now can I ask you about the DVDs in my living room? Okay. <laughs> or if you want to know, it's not right yet. I, nope, what? nope, I'm done. done? With, I'm done. Done. Okay. Guide if, me. If you if you want previews of what's to come, <laughs> next time I'm planning for my discussion topic to talk about all the companies in the U.S. that are releasing stuff today and the goods and bads and what they're doing. 
And then for a review piece, I'd like to talk about Hibernate Renme, a series from a few years back that was recently re-released, one that's uh, personally near and dear to me. I, I try to vary up my reviews to do different stuff every time. And, and that one's, it's not an action show. It's, it's, it's not exciting or anything, but it's a, a, an excellent, excellent drama that's uh, an interesting watch. So uh, if you want to just do like I'll do a disc or two and pass it over to you and we'll get that watched. That's and a done. horrible way to watch that show. Well, what, are you, what, what are a you? stupid idea, Jeff. <laughs> Why would you even think that? Oh, yeah, my God, I, Don. I, can you believe I, this, man? You're watching every other disc? No. <laughs> he'll, he'll watch a disc and give it to me and then watch the I'll next watch one. like two discs, one or two discs, and <laughs> hand that over and then watch the next oh. two discs. Sorry. It's because because <laughs> I don't even know where to go right now. How did how did that? I got two laughs out of that. That was awesome. I, I totally misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> despite the amount of time that Jordan and I spend together, we don't exactly uh, spend quality movie time together. <laughs> okay, no, I understand now. I'd like to change that. I'd like to take our relationship to the, to the next, next level. level. Really? All right. I, I, th- I thought you were tag team bucket. Uh, Empty. Sweet. Oh, oh sweet. man. And there. <laughs> Oh man! Aren't you glad you came? I'm but you keep coming back. So. I'm not putting my hand in that bucket. Oh, you've already put your hand in that bucket, my friend. <laughs> Virtually. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for educating us again. I do what I can. Yeah. It's a tough sell. It right? is. You know, we're <laughs> we're not the best students. You just sit there so. But quiet, we're here. Blankly. We shut the door. We yeah. can't go anywhere. <laughs> Not quite dozing off, but you got you know. a captive audience. Well, you know when you come over on like one of the hottest days too. <laughs> oh my word! It's it's steaming in here. Well, you guys at least got the fan right behind you. I'm getting none of that. None of that helps. Hello, listeners. Do you want to connect with all us geeks without it getting physical and awkward? Well, that's good because that's not a winning scenario for anyone. I'm here to help you do that, because all us geeks would like to virtually connect with you, too. First place you can do that, of course, is allusgeeks.com, which will have links to all the things that I'm about to tell you about. It also has our latest posts, which will show you which podcasts are out, which videos that we've recently produced, and any written reviews that we've done. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash allusgeeks. Twitter, same thing, twitter.com slash allusgeeks. Skype, we're on Skype. We've tried to keep it simple. It's, you've got it, All Us Geeks. You can leave us a voicemail there. And if you're just into that tactile feel of dialing numbers, how about punching the following random numbers into your phone? 1-952-236-GEEK. That's 1-952-236-4335. That will get you to our Skype voicemail as well. Know we're on Google Plus? You can go over there and search for all us geeks. We have a guild on Board Game Geek. So for the true geek of board games, you can find us. Our guild is 1274. Or, of course, search for all us geeks. 
We have a new YouTube channel that we've launched recently where we've looked at special events, game previews, and some miniature-related gaming. You can find that at youtube.com slash user slash, wait for it, All Us Geeks. On the allusgeeks.com site, we also have a contact form that you can use to let us know what's on your mind. And you can always leave a comment on the individual posts for each podcast episode. And while we're on the subject of feedback, if you happen to listen to us through iTunes, we would appreciate it if you could go out there, give us a rating, and leave some feedback so other people can find us as well. Well, there you go. There's a ton of ways to get a hold of us without actually having to poke us with a stick. And we appreciate it. All right, game review. We are going to review Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, Rise of the Rune Lords base set. Actually, I think we were, uh, when we played, we have the base set and the character add-on, which allows you to basically take it up to six players out of the box. Uh, they give you enough cards. You've got enough characters that are you could potentially think you can play six players, but card-wise, you only have enough to build four of those characters. Uh, the character add-on deck allows you to take it up to six. Let's see. So far, we've played. I've played solo. We played two-player and three-player, and Jordan and I got to play two-player. Megan actually sat down and played it with me two-player. I sold a bunch, and uh, we got to play it with Jordal. Uh, for a three-player game. So you want to uh, give a quick explanation of what it is? It is a semi... It is advertised as a deck-building game, and it is in that if you campaign through the whole box, you do build a deck for your character. It is the Pathfinder Rise of the Rune Lords campaign done with cards. If you've played the Rise of the Rune Lords, a lot of these locations and characters will be familiar. The NPCs from the Pathfinder comics and the Rise of the Rune Lords uh, campaign are all in here. Valeros, Maricel, you know, Sione, all those people, those are all existing characters. And you get to choose uh, one of them, and they come with uh, a standard, or I should say a starting set of cards. And well, this is where... They give you a starting set if you wanted to start off, yeah. but you can build your own deck from the beginning if you want to. Yes. And if, if I could finish a sentence every now and then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ooh. you said, uh, no. Uh-uh. Shut it. You're given... <laughs> yes, you are. A set of starting cards, or you can build your own. And... I like how he tacked that on after I... After I was down. interrupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> If you progress as a campaign, as you gain more items, you can redo your deck between each uh, session, each campaign or each block. I don't adventure. I think they term them. Well, you can do it between scenario. Yeah, there's they have a couple different. There's scenario, which is like one shot mm-hmm. kind of deal. They have adventure, which might be like three one shots or something like that, and then they have an adventure path. Yes. Which is an event, you know, the multiple adventures, which have multiple scenarios kind of. Yeah. So there's it's how you want to play. it. I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's many ways to play it. And if you choose at least two of those, 
you can't well right from the start you can get away from their suggested starting list but i think to learn the game it's definitely good to just go with those Mm -hmm. and then after that you can uh use the cards that you find as loot or allies uh to tweak your deck and and be more to your play style all right so it's Mostly a card-driven game. It's almost all cards. So your villains, the henchmen, the monsters, the locations, it's all card-based. Your characters are cards, the decks that you built. It's important to point out that your deck for your character is also your life. So as you're playing, you got to kind of weigh out your use of your cards because every time you throw stuff in your discard pile... You're basically throwing life away because if you, uh, at the end of your turn, you always have to refill your hand up to your hand size limit. And there's no reshuffling your deck unless a card tells you you can. So if you ever have to reach, let's say your hand size is four and you need, and you've played all but one card, if you need to pull three cards and you can't pull three cards off your deck, you're dead. And it happened. I mean, it's very tight game and it's nice in that it's very tight. So you'll feel it, but it, it works. I mean, we, every time we've played, we've had a couple people die, uh, but it's always been like right towards the end of the game. But you've had that long feeling of, uh, I don't know if I should do this because I, I need to keep my health points, that kind of stuff. So it, it's a very tight game that works well for the mechanic. That there you are other games that I've played where deck is life and it's, that seemed more like a punishment, but this here for, for Pathfinder does seem, more of a decision motivator than yeah. than just taking away your cards. And they've done a nice job too of having different ways. Like the, uh, you, there are some cards that can be recharged, mm-hmm. uh, which that keyword means it goes to the bottom of your deck. So if you use a recharge ability, it'll go to the bottom of your deck, which means you're cycling through it. So some things like uh, spellcasters, they have to do a check. If they succeed in their check, their spell goes back to, instead of being discarded, goes back into their deck. So they get to use it over and over again. And that's kind of an interesting thing, too, because it's, you know, like uh, the Paladin and the Healer had like one cure in their deck. Mm-hmm. So if you lost it and it went in your discard pile, you kind of just went, oh, crap, because that was our only heal. Because the cure spell in this game is basically pick somebody at your location or yourself and let them reshuffle some cards back into their deck. So take them from the discard and put them back into their deck. So basically healing them. If you take damage during the game, which we'll get to how you take damage too, but if you take damage during the game, it's coming out of your hand. So that sucks if you're trying to keep cards in your hand, but it's also kind of nice in that, let's say again, let's go back to my four card uh, hand limit. So if I had four cards in my hand, let's say I spent two during the combat, I had two cards in my hand, but let's say my damage ended up being nine. Like I just got hosed. I only give up those two cards. I don't have to go into my deck for the rest of the damage, which is nice because that would kill you quick. Because <laughs> really, your starting decks are very, very small. And your chances of acquiring new cards are there, but depending on where you are and what it takes to get them, you might have some issues. For instance, Jordan <laughs> and Michael were in a location where they the cards that were coming up, they both they both needed but each one was pulling what the other person needed and what the other person was really good at doing a check for. So they were 
And and if you don't succeed in the check, the card just goes away. You don't. Nobody gets it. It doesn't go back in the deck. It just comes out of the game. So I was pulling all the divine, right, and needing div- divine or wisdom checks, which I, as the mage, I did not have. And Michael, who was the cleric, was pulling all the, the arcane, arcane yeah. who he was not getting. So it was just, hey, a card I can't get. Yeah, so sorry. They, so they were just watching <laughs> each other toss away cards that the other one could use because they couldn't successfully grab them. So let's backtrack a little bit then on how to play the game. So what you're going to do is, for setup is uh, Jordan kind of talked about it a little bit, but everybody's going to pick a character. And you the the book, uh, including the character add-on deck, is, is in the base rule book, which is nice. If you have that as well, you know you can pick from those characters as well. And they are going to give you a set of starting cards. So for your first few plays, not a bad idea to use that. Uh, so they tell you, here's the deck that your character is going to use. And it's going to be made up of things like armor, weapons, allies, spells, items, stuff like that, uh, blessings. So things like that, a mixture of that, depending on the character type. So that'll make up your, your starting deck. And then for a, we'll, we'll just go through a single shot. So if you, you grab the scenario that you're going to play, and if you look, look on the, on the scenario card, if you turn it over, it'll tell you, uh, here's the number of players you have. Here's how many locations that you need. So, you know, you, you look down that and all of the locations for a one player or two player, let's say we're playing a three player game, all of them that say one, one, two, and three, you'll pull all those locations. And those will be the locations that you need to explore for this scenario. Then on the location card, they will tell you what kind of items need to be in that deck. So it'll be anything from... Uh, they call them Banes and Boons, so Banes, bad, Boons, good. Uh, monsters, barriers, and, and items, spells, more blessings, all that kind of stuff. So you'll get a mix of things at each location, more allies, that kind of stuff. And then uh, on the scenario card, it'll also tell you who your big bad is, so who the villain is that you're trying to defeat, and what kind of henchmen that they usually have. And you'll pull basically the villain and henchmen's, for one for each location. Then you'll take those, mix them up, put one on each on top of each location deck that you've created, and then shuffle those up. So you don't know where the villain is. Uh, you don't know when the villain's going to pop up because it could be towards the bottom, towards the top of a location, all that good stuff, and then you set those out. And then everybody st- uh, picks their starting location. Now, this is... Uh, it's not random. It's not preset. You just choose which location you want to be at. Multiple characters can be at a location. You just choose where you're going to start and, and all the locations have been set out. And then a basic turn goes advance the blessing deck, which I should have said. Uh, you put 30 blessing cards aside. No matter how many players are playing, it's a 30, 30 card deck of blessings. And all of that really does for you is it's a timer. So you've basically got 30 turns to complete this scenario. Now, and it's, it's not 30 rounds. Right. And that's what somebody was confused at when one of the games I played. The blessings go every player. Yep. So if you're, you've got 30 turns at six, at a six player game, that means everybody's only getting five sets of actions, yeah. you know? So that, Unless, that's, yeah. well, yeah, right. yeah, there's things. You're only going to get five, five turns. Yeah, five five turns in base. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there are some things that can mess with the blessing deck uh, to make it better for you. There's one major thing that can make it bad for you, which we'll get to. Uh, but yeah, basically every player f- flips a flips a blessing, 
and it's just a countdown clock. If you if a player has to flip a blessing and there's not one there, you've lost mm-hmm. if, if you haven't completed the objective. So the first thing you do is advance the blessing deck. Then you've got some optional stuff that you can do. You can give a card to somebody, and these have to be done in order, and that's important as well. Uh, so these are optional things in the middle here, but they have to be done in this order if you want to do them. So you can give a card to somebody at your location. So if you've got a card in your hand, uh, somebody else can use it. You can give it to them if they're at your location. You can move. You can move to any location you want. There's no, like, it's not, like, next location over or anything like that. You can go to any location that's out. And you then you can explore. And exploring is just looking at the top card of the location deck. And from there, you, you know, if it's a bane or a boon, uh, if it's if it's a bane, if it's bad for you, usually it'll be like a monster, a henchman, a villain, or a barrier. Uh, if it's any of the combat-oriented things, you'll do a combat check against it. And uh, we should mention that this is primarily cards, but there are dice involved. And it uses your normal polyhedrals minus a d20. It actually does not have a d20. So everything else is up for grabs in this. But you'll have to do a combat check uh, against the monsters. And that'll be basically if you have a weapon in your hand, you might be able to use that. Otherwise, you're just going to use your strength. And the different characteristics have different dice associated to associated with it. So let's say you're a buffed-out fighter. You might have a D10 for your strength. So you'll get a D10. Uh, and then there, if you have a weapon, it might say you can use this as well, and it'll give you a D8. So you'll have a D8, D10 and a D8. And depending on what the combat check is, uh, it might say, you know, you need to roll a 10 or better or something like that. So if you roll, if you roll those two together and you get 10 or better, you've won. And, uh, if it's a monster, basically it'll go away. If it's a henchman, it'll go away and you get an opportunity to close down the location, which is a good thing. Uh, you want to do that. And each location tells you how you can close it. So that varies by location. And if it's the villain, yay, hopefully. Before you fight the villain, everybody tries to. Everybody can temporarily close a location wherever they're at if or make an attempt. Hopefully, those are successful. If you're successful against a villain, it uh, it does escape if there's an open location, but you won't take damage, and it'll pull blessings out of the box. And however many locations are open. Uh, it'll be the villain plus enough blessings to cover those locations. You mix that up, and again, randomly, one goes to each location. So you don't know where the villain escaped to right off the top, and then you shuffle those decks again. Now, if you're unsuccessful with the villain, if uh, let's say you rolled the eight, and so you've got to take the two points of damage, not only do you got to take the two points of damage, but uh, the villain is still going to escape, but now the villain is taking blessings off your countdown deck instead of out of the box for every other location open. So he's still going to escape. There's still going to be blessings mixed in, but he's just made it so you've got to find him quicker because uh, you've got less time to do it now. And uh, let's see. So that is explore. Oh, if it, and then if it's a if it's a boon, which is something favorable to you, so if it's in like an ally, an item, a weapon, armor, something like that, uh, there's usually a check to acquire. Same concept. It's going to tell you a skill that you need to use, uh, like wisdom, uh, arcane, or wisdom divine, or something like that. Uh, you use that skill. It'll give you a number. You have to roll that or better, and you can use cards to help you if you have cards in your hand to basically give you a better uh, a better chance at that check. 
Uh, and then if you are successful, it goes right in your hand. It doesn't go in your discard pile. It doesn't go on top of your deck or anything like that. It goes straight in your hand, uh, which is good and can be a little bit bad, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So that's Explore. Then if you can try to lo- close a location if it's possible. Typically, it's only possible in this instance if there are no cards left in that location deck. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be like I said, if you defeat a henchman, you can attempt it. Uh, and, and that's about the only other time. And again, closing a location, you just got to read each location. It'll tell you to do something. One might say you got to summon a monster and defeat it. If you defeat it, the location closes. Uh, others might be a check, you know, something like that. And then finally, and this is not optional, you reset your hand. And reset your hand basically means you have to draw back up to or discard down to uh, your hand size limit. So if you've acquired cards and you're over your hand size limit, you're getting rid of something if you haven't played them. Because, again, if we go back to the hand size of four, suddenly I've got six cards in my hand. i got to get rid of two somehow. Uh, so either I can try to use them to benefit us or they're just going in my discard pile and they're kind of wasted points. You can also get rid of cards if you want to uh, to, to discard, to grab new stuff out of your out of your deck. But, again, you're playing with your life doing that as well so it's one of those things uh, i really need i really would like a weapon but i also don't want to slowly kill myself to get the weapon kind of thing i want to try to use these cards if i can and uh blessings everybody's going to have some blessings in their starting deck blessings are kind of cool because they can help you with checks uh they also allow you to explore an extra time because by your turn order you can only explore once for free then you need cards of some type and the blessings of the gods, which are the basic ones that you get, uh, allow you to discard them for exploring as well. So you could basically explore twice in a location with using a, a blessing. Uh, let's see. That's uh, that's the base of a turn. Mm-hmm. So anything else you want to add? No, I think that checks that and... covers the turn pretty well. I mean, yeah. everything is everything's on the card, whether it's the the location or the the encounter the location card itself or the encounter I mean everything's there and there's uh several keywords here Let's use those real quick uh reveal just basically means you got to show it and it stays in your hand so a lot of weapons are that way hey look I've got this weapon I get a d8 and it stays in your hand so those are kind of cool display means you got to put it down in front of you uh, discard is what you think it is discard to your discard pile uh, recharge was the one we were talking about earlier which is kind of cool that's the one where you play the card and its rechargeability just basically means it goes to the bottom of your deck instead of going into your discard. Bury means it goes under your character card. Uh, so what that does is it takes it out of that particular scenario for the rest of the game, unless you somehow can unbury it, and I haven't seen those cards yet. But at the end of the scenario, if you're playing campaign, you still can use those cards. So they're gone from the scenario, but you can still use them to rebuild your deck later. Banish, on the other hand, goes back to the box and is gone. You can't use that in the next scenario to rebuild your deck. Those are some of the uh, keywords. All right, so let's look at components. What do you think of the components that we got? As with all games that provide dice, they do <laughs> not provide enough dice. Yeah, well, they technically, pro- they, provide they do. One set. Yes, yeah. they provide one set. But as with all games that only provide one set of dice, you're either being passing things around or almost every card can get can let you generate two of the same dice. 
So that, have, that's my bigger issue, I think, because yeah. you're only going one at a time. So passing the dice, I don't care about as much. But yeah, when it's like, all right, I get three D, like, well, the monk. Yes. Because you can throw away as many blessings as you, because usually you can only play one blessing. The monk lets you throw away as many blessings as you want on combat. So you can be sitting there with four or five D10s, but you only get one D10 with the with the base game. So, yeah. Anyways, you know, that's cost-driven by Paizo. I understand that. And, of course, anybody that's played a, a D20-based game probably has their own set of dice. <laughs> so that's not a huge obstacle to overcome. But it's, you know, one of my ongoing gripes about any dice-based game. <laughs> cards are all very nice, and the artwork on the cards is taken from... Uh, you know, right from the Paizo books and right from the, or I should say the Pathfinder books and the Pathfinder comics. It's all, all the same style. If you do like the, the, the Paizo artwork, you will like the artwork on this card, on these cards. It's all very well done. Again, I, I don't know how much of it is original, but it's all very much Pathfinder style. So it's all very good. Or at least I think it is. The box is nice and big and glossy. The tray in the box is actually fairly worthwhile. It, uh, well, you know, some of these deck builders, you know, where they give you slots, they don't travel well. Yeah. Uh, but this one, it looks like uh, it, it it made it to Jordal's house in <laughs> in relatively good condition. Yeah. The book, well, the rule book. Well, that's in the rules section, but yeah, it, that's a that's a shady book right there. Again, going back to one of my complaints, you shouldn't have to go to BGG on release day. <laughs> but componentry, yeah, it, it's all uh, it's all pretty solid. Yeah, I really like the components as well. Again, it's mostly card-driven, so there's lots of cards. My one concern, and I think we talked about it not too long ago here, is I have a feeling I should probably do some sleeving, uh, which there's a lot of cards in this game. Well, but, it's like 500 in, in the core box, right? Yeah, and, uh, but it's I, I've already seen people talk about like five plays, and they're already seeing a little bit of wear on the sides and stuff. And, uh, I just, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, everybody makes, has to make that kind of decision. Where do you sleeve and where do you just decide, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to play it until I can't play it anymore and buy, buy another one. Eh, I think this is a little, little of a, ex, ex, uh, a little too expensive probably to be doing that too often, <laughs> especially like I said, if I'm hearing like five plays in some areas and, and whatnot, you know, grab some penny sleeves. Uh, I, I might go ahead and do that, I think. But then I heard, I've also heard that once you start sleeving the stuff, then a lot of people are just replacing the tray with like 800 count boxes. You can get like three of them in there or something like that. Uh, and that's the preferred way. Cause I guess once you start sleeving, yeah, they don't fit in the tray anymore. Well, they, they'll fit in, but there's uh I forget where the cutoff is, but it's not all the way through the adventure path. Yeah. Like it, everything in this box will be fine. Mm-hmm. But as they start releasing the adventure pass stuff, it's like two or three in, you're you're done. From what I saw, again, we talked about the dice. I agree. Uh, I don't mind passing the dice since we're all taking our turn individually. But I do, like I said, and I've been playing the monk a lot solo. So in that instance, where it's like I can throw away blessings all day and have a chunk of dice in front of me, uh, to only have one d10 kind of sucks. But you're right. I mean, it, it's again. Most people playing this are also role players, more than likely. So you've got your polyhedral dice laying around and plenty of them. Uh, and I can attest by my dice jar in the other room. <laughs> so I was able to pull out some extra dice. Mechanics. What did you think mechanically? Mechanically, you know, this was going to be my big, biggest. I thought this was where the game would fail, but I think it succeeds very well. 
each character that well this is a very good adaptation of the pencil and paper rpg to put it on to cart each each character has its core stat and its secondary stat and its tertiary stats you know it's got the the wizard isn't uh, you know is your arcane and it's you know the 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 rogue is dex you know all that stuff they have their core stat the the the, you got your little mini character sheet that shows you all your pluses and your special abilities. Everything is very well written. There's no gray area on any card, and all the cards that we've seen interact together interact well together. The AI is very simple but very uh effective. You know, like you said, the scenario tells you what locations, the locations tell you what cards shuffle. And then after that it's just flipping a card. So the AI what it's giving it too much credit to make it sound like it's an AI, but you know, the, the, the game, the, the driving mechanic works really, really well. Everything, like I said, is written on the cards, works well together and all the cards specific to, you know, stuff that you use for your rogue, stuff that you reuse for your, your mages or your clerics, you know, or your hybrids, like your paladins and your rangers. It's all thematic, but at the same time, it's not empty theme. You know, you've got your basic stuff like your longsword and your short sword, and you know, so you got your D6, your D8. You got your basic thing like your quarter staff, but then the stuff that you can find, the staff of healing. You know, the the mechanics work as well as the theme. It's not just well, and they do have some of the basic stuff that's just a plus one sword, but then it has the keyword magic for things that need magic to kill, and, and we ran into that <laughs> repeatedly. Stupid specter. So mechanically, it all comes together really, really well. And mechanically, I think it works really, really well. This was a solid game mechanically and a lot, a lot more solid than I, I agree. I, I thought it would be at first or the first read through. Uh, I'm still not thrilled about the whole the way they did the character. They do have character sheets that you can print online. I put ours in top loaders that you can do dry erase on top of. Uh, and that's more for campaign setting. I mean, yeah, if you never forward. campaign, then that's not it's, an issue, yeah. the leveling up. But everything else, I like the way it works. I, I like that the weapons are reveal because that way, I mean, you keep them in your hand as long as you want them or a monster or villain or whatever basically makes you get rid of it and mm-hmm. breaks your... Breaks your weapon, if you will. Where spells are, I use it. Maybe I remember it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I don't. Uh, kind of. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. I didn't know what I would think at first about the defeating the villain and them escaping. I think that still works really well, I, and I th- it makes for a nice, like as we said, a tight game. I mean, it's okay. We got it. We're getting some extra blessings, maybe, but it's it, it's all based on were we able to close locations and where can he escape and that kind of stuff. Uh, the one thing that we've talked about is it is a little bit goofy, maybe, is because coming from an RPG background, you don't split the party, <laughs> and coming into Pathfinder, the card game, you almost always want to split the party. <laughs> you, you don't want to be together. But they've also done some nice things for that, I think, too. Like the ranger whose special ability helps somebody at a different location and, and different things like that. And uh, Lem, who I was playing the other night, has some stuff where you do want Lem traveling with somebody. Yes. And- they've done a good job of making the paper and pencil classes seem very very much like themselves in the card game there are the tanks and there are the support people and i mean 
if you if you choose and you choose to build a you know a balanced party, things will go better than if you go random and you just get like four support classes. You know, that's that will be bad. But it, it they if you build the party well, it will work well. I kind of want to try to solo with the wizard though. <laughs> See if it, Ezrin it or or Sioni. Uh, yeah. Ezrin, yeah. All right, so uh, well here we go. Rules. The book is mediocre at best. It looks very nice. Uh, again, more Paizo artwork, but the layouts, the sidebars, and the actual rules beyond basics, very, very sketchy. Trying to find the examples for what you're looking for, for clarification on any given page. I mean, even though the sidebars are colored, you know, and they're very obvious on the page, finding stuff in this book is really not that obvious. The layout is very much... Stream of consciousness, I think. I think they just sat down and wrote it all out <laughs> in, in one shot. Uh, it's not bad. It's just not ideal. If you read it to get your first play in, you will be able to get your first play in, but you will be left with many questions uh, as you progress through your first play. So uh, it's it, it, it gets the job done, but it's by no means ideal, or at least I don't think it is. Yeah, like I said, I, I was the one that read through it, and granted – my initial read through it was in a tired fog at Gen Con over two days, but I did once we got back, since we didn't play it then, and we played it after we got back and we played it at Jordals, I did read through the rules again. And you're right. I mean, I got through the rules and I was able to show up on Thursday night and we were pretty much off and going. Where we had to stumble was questions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so we got the foundation fine, but it was like, well, what happens with this? Or what about this keyword? Or what about this? And you're right. I mean, there are, there are things, and I've seen people point them out on, well, if you reread this whole chapter on page 10, it's like, well, yeah, but I shouldn't have to reread a whole chapter to find this keyword that is very important, apparently. So it should be keyworded somewhere. And that's what I kept looking for, like evade. Uh, I kept looking for the keyword evade somewhere. And, okay, yeah, well, you know, at the top of this paragraph, it says if you have cards that can evade. Well, no, okay, that's great. If I want to reread a whole paragraph in the middle of play while people are asking you questions. You don't typically do that. And it sucks, and, yeah, I'll find it later, but that's not when I want to find it. So I agree with you on that. I mean, you you read through the thing. You're going to get your foundation fine. There, you're not going to have any issues playing the foundation of this game. But during the game, if people start asking questions, you're going to have some issues. Uh, and that's where we go back to, you know, you talk about needing an index and all that other stuff. This doesn't have an index. And it is more than 10 pages. And it is more than 10 pages. So, yeah, rules are, are uh, okay, but could be better for sure. All right, teachability. Uh, I'll cover this one real quick. Uh, again, I, I read it over one more time before we went to Thursday, showed up on Thursday, told all you guys how to play. Did we have really any issues that you think of getting up and running? No. Yeah, it's 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 not bad to teach at all, and uh, so much of it is contained within the cards that, again, it's the, the questions and stuff that come up you have to go back to, but so much is contained in the cards, and so much has a very solid foundation. You know, a check is a check. Uh, whether it's combat or, or trying to get a spell in your hand, a check is a check, and how to how to resolve a check is is fine. Once you know that foundation, again, it just goes back to well, what does this keyword mean? Okay, let me flip through and try to find that real quick. Uh, real quick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so teachability wasn't that bad for the foundation. Yes, yeah, not at all. 
So theme, what do you think? It's very strong. Very well done. Like I said, this everything about this screams Paizo and Pathfinder. The art, the names, the world, the setting, you know. The, well, like I said, this is... They've reprinted Rune Lords in the deluxe edition, and that's out. And this is just a chunk of the Rune Lords campaign. Mm-hmm. All the artwork, all the characters, everything is drawn. I assume everything is drawn from existing Paizo imagery. So if if you like any of that, this will immediately pull you into the theme. If you like the Pathfinder world, this is an excellent continuation of that. If you are an RPGer and you've you're looking for a new FRPG. I think this is an excellent introduction to the, the Pathfinder theme because it gives you a light flavor of what the paper and pencil is without character creation, without having to buy one to two $50 books or $30, you know, PDFs or whatever. So I think thematically it's a great game. Yeah, here's what I I kind of like about it. You can basically play with this theme as much as you want. Mm-hmm. Like the scenarios and the adventure pass and all that stuff, there's fluff there you can read yep. to what you're trying to do. The villains, the monsters, the henchmen, the locations, there's all a little bit of fluff there if you want to read through that and and set up what you're looking at. Or you can just straight play it for what it is—a card, a, a, a you know, dungeon crawly kind of card game. You can make the theme what you want it to be, and it's there. the The theme is there. The theme is heavy. The theme is, you know, he- heavily there. I should say it's not a heavy theme, but it's a very nice, thick theme that you can sink your teeth into if you want a thematic experience. See, I, I compare this thematically to Thunderstone game. I very much like. But after the initial setup, it's, oh, I don't even talk about setup. <laughs> after the initial setup, it's, okay, I'll buy the fighter. I'll buy the cleric. I'll buy the dude with the bow. You know, give me the ring. Give me the food. Whatever. The, the, the theme is there for Thunderstone where it's, you know, a fantasy dungeon crawl. But with this, I actively found myself taking the time to not just read the cards for the mechanics, but to learn the card's name. Yeah. I, I know what the staff does, but I am going to be using my staff of minor healing. This was thematic enough to draw me in to make me want to use all aspects of the card and the theme on the card. Yeah. And again, with this one, what I like is, I mean, Thunderstone, most of the theme is in the booklets. Yes. I mean, this is straight on the cards. Like, you know, here's what you're trying to do in this adventure. Mm -hmm. Here's what this location is. And, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of cool in that aspect. Something you just kind of hit on that I I meant to talk about earlier. Uh, One thing people do complain a little bit about is setup for this game. This rivals legendary for setup time. I don't think it's that bad once you get used to it. The way after if you're not going if you're going to always start with the core deck, the the core uh, or the suggested cards. Yes. Then yeah, if you set that up ahead of time that does solve, but if it gets to the point well, yeah, I don't know. It I I think it is not a detractor, but I think it is setup heavy. But I think it's worth it. Yeah, and, and it'll be worse the more players you have because the more players you have, the more, more characters and more locations. Well, that's one thing we didn't talk about, the mechanics. I think this scales really, really well. Yes. From solo, I would definitely love to try this at six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so would I. Okay, uh, so last thing we need to talk about, and I think you kind of know what our answer will be, but fun factor. This game sucks. Horrible. <laughs> Paizo, what the Cannot hell? I cannot believe I paid for this. Glad you did not. This game is an excellent game. 
I uh, going Don, under. We just blew Don's mind. <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. <laughs> Go, going under previous strictures from a previous review, I don't know that I can give this a 10, because I might want a 10 another, another time, <laughs> but this is definitely a 9.5. You don't want to play your one and only 10 card? <laughs> uh, this is a highly enjoyable game. Uh, as as a Pathfinder paper and pencil player, I really love this. As a deck builder player, I really love this. As a fantasy-based player, I really love this. Uh, as a combination of all those three... I think it works really well, and I really love it. I agree. I, I've had nothing but fun with this. I mean, I went above and beyond. Oh, it was this. not fun watching you carry that around all day. <laughs> Even I felt bad for you. Yeah, it, it is a hefty box. But, uh, you know, we, we've we played it, and we played enough of it for, to review it, and Jordan actually played at least in one demo, right? Two. At Gen Con. Two, two demos at Gen Con. I didn't get to demo it at Gen Con, but... I played it above and beyond what we needed for review because I just wanted to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, I, like I said, I, one night Megan actually played with me, and then she's like, "I'm I'm going to bed. I'm tired because it was late at night." And I'm like, "All right, go for it. I'll play I'm with so, myself. I'm soloing this for a while." And then the other night we were watching stuff, and she was doing something, and I was like, "Okay, go ahead, keep keep playing stuff, but I'm going to solo through the first basic adventure." And, and it's just, it, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I don't, I've got a ton of solo games. I usually don't want to play solo games that much. Uh, this, I wanted to try it the first time because I thought maybe we should have that aspect for, for this review. And then I just kept going. See, this is like the D&D big box games. Th- those can also scale from solo to five or six or whatever. And those work just as well at solo because they scale very well. But like I said, for me, I don't usually care to solo many things. Yes, There's not same too here. many That's, games that yeah. I want to solo. But this, I was like, Shh, I'm good. Let me play for a while. Next scenario. All right. Black Fang defeated him. Yes. Almost died, but did it. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this one. So, yeah, we highly recommend checking out Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. So, Don, are you a, a Pathfinder dude at all? Do you do the FRPGs? Uh, I was big third edition fan, so mm-hmm. I would transfer into it. Well, I've never played it, but I'm sure I would like it. Based, so based on what you've heard just from us talking, this seems like something, just as the person that's not into the Pathfinder world, seems a little engaging to you. When do I get to play it? All right, so we're going to wrap up early. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our game review for this time. What we're watching. You know what, Don? You've been silent for a while. Why don't you start us off? Do I do everything or do we you, alternate on you this? You do whatever you feel like doing. All right, I'll just go through uh, my sizable list for Sweet. last we'll couple of weeks. <laughs> well, last, last month I skipped a Gen Con because I didn't really get much watch that week, obviously. At this time, every once in a while I go back and I, I watch a bunch of shows that of franchises that i've seen stuff before usually i have this big long list but those kind of percolate to the top and every once in a while i go back and go through all those so that was that kind of time frame for me so online starting out watching hayate the combat butler cuties on crunchyroll <laughs> this is the fourth hayate the combat butler series which is a show with hayate who's a butler and very little combat in it it's a comedy series i really enjoyed the first season from a number of years back I rather like the characters and the comedy. The, the Hayate character especially I really loved. 
is a rare character that I could pity, envy, cheer for, and laugh at all at the same time. Uh, the second that, season... That's called a normal day in our... <laughs> it's a rare character on a TV show, though. The second series was done by a different animation studio. I like that a lot for a lot of different reasons. The third series was absolutely terrible. I Worse than I could have believed was possible. I didn't think it could fail Hayate that badly. But well, where's your intro? Don's Horrible Truths. I, uh, <laughs> it would have been for the third... I, I was kind of stunned. So when I found out that the fourth series was being done by that same animation studio. I wasn't too excited, but, you know, give it a try anyway. And good news, it's not as bad as the third season. (laughs) The bad news is it's still pretty bad. Apparently, you got to do more than just have the characters on the screen. You actually have to have them do stuff. I mean, their jokes and stuff were funny when they had them, but they were just (coughs) few and far between. Then moved on to, on Crunchyroll, Chihaya Furu 2, the second season of a series about Karuta, competitive Karuta. Karuta is a Japanese card game. Well, it, I call it a card game, but it's really a dexterity memorization game. It's a game that's usually played just like on holidays, like New Year's, for like a family game. It's got a hundred little cards with the second half of a classic Japanese poem on them. And they're laid out on the floor between people. And then a reader reads off the first half of the poems. And the first person to grab the card that matches that poem gets to that point. Well, these people take it to an extreme competitive level, and it's kind of crazy to watch as they, with lightning speed, grab it at a card with the first syllables read. It's just insane. This show is about a high school girl, a very pretty high school girl who is known as a wasted beauty because the only thing on her brain is Karuta. And it's the usual kind of sports type stuff where she uh, gets some people together to form a club so they can go to tournaments and do practicing and stuff like that. But... The show is just so much fun, so enjoyable. So much of it has to do with the lead character herself, which is the kind of character that just wears her emotions on her sleeve and just awesome to watch. But what I think really makes the show work is her and the other character's passion, how intense they are, how much they love what they do, and how they get into it. So despite just being, you know, slapping at cards on a table, the, the matches are really intense, really exciting to watch. And the second season, it was just mere minutes before I was enjoying it all over again. Getting into the music and the characters, everything. So, second series of 24 episodes, loved it. Next, uh, I went to Nyarko-san, another Crawling Chaos W on Crunchyroll. Which is the follow-up to a series of the same name minus the W at the end. You're sending me all this stuff again, right? (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Thank God. Well, that's why he printed it out for you. (laughs) Oh, there there you go. That'll work, too. I'll send it to you. For those that know Lovecraft, you might have noticed this kind of sounds Lovecrafty. It is. It's a silly comedy series based on Lovecraft, kind of really loosely. Where well, nothing screams silly comedy like Lovecraft. Lovecraft I know. <laughs> I know. I, I love the concept there. Instead of being evil deities, uh, they're alien species that happen to know Lovecraft. And Nierko is the the lead character. She's a a girl who's a Nierlothotepian. There's also a Cthugan, uh, a Hasturian. You know, there's a few various characters. Suck it, Hoster. We took you down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I suddenly caught the reference. I got it. Yes. They're living on Earth as kind of like an Earth Defense Force sort of thing, where they're supposed to be like defending Earth from weird aliens and stuff like that, which they occasionally sort of do, but mostly just kind of screw around and be silly. The second season, Nyarko wasn't as overbearing as the first season, which is good. But the comedy in general wasn't as good in the second season, I didn't think. So both 
kind of mediocre. I mean, I really love some of the Lovecraft references, especially like when they go to the great library of Seleno to return an overdue book. <laughs> this little stuff like that I thought was great. But for the most part, the, it's so steeped in Japanese otaku culture that unless you know all this stuff and know all these references, it's just most of the comedy will just fly right past you. I kind of get it, half of it at least, <laughs> but unfortunately I can't oh, really hell, if you don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't stand a chance. <laughs> if I would sit there like with you watching and like, pause every few seconds to explain every reference, it might be Yeah, that, that's, that's my favorite. Well, after the slapping, things. I might laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then on Crunchyroll, DD Fist of the North Star. This is the 30th anniversary of the classic Fist of the North Star series, which is kind of a great pillar of anime for its all, all its uh, head blowing up goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is quite literal. The main character in a post apocalyptic world uh, it kills is a bloody bloody set. Yeah, yeah, it is. It kills people by hitting pressure points, which cause stuff to happen, like heads exploding. It, um, it's well, actually avoid the live action. Yes, like the plague. <laughs> I have not seen that one. Don't oddly, don't. don't. <laughs> Well, I did see the original series, and I liked it quite a bit, at least the first half of it. Uh, so seeing this, this is a comedy series that's kind of poking fun at the original, where they're super deformed versions. And in 1990X, like the original series, except for there was no apocalyptic bad thing that happened. It's just the modern world, and they're just trying to get part-time <laughs> nice. jobs. <laughs> and it was directed by one of my favorite directors, Akitaro Daichi. Who you, Jordan, you might know from Fruits Basket, ah. as well as a number of other fantastic series. So I went in there kind of like looking forward to this. Unfortunately, the, the humor just didn't work for me. It was kind of childish. And well, I just don't like Sukomi comedy anyway. So it kind of, kind of dragged for me. Unfortunate. Uh, after I got done with all those and I started going back to my big list of new stuff, series called The Ambition of Odu. Oda Nobunaga, which originally I thought was Oda Nobunaga, who is a very, very famous Japanese historical figure. I thought the same thing. I, I read that and I, hey, I know that name. I've played the game. This is actually going to be historic. Oh, no, that's that's not the name. It's, it's, it's a little off. And, and the, the misunderstanding is on purpose. They're, oh, so they were trying to go for that without actually going for that? Yes, yes. Okay. The Sengoku period or the Warring States period of Japan is um, a very important part of Japanese history that is in their media all the time. Every quarter, there's probably one anime series that deals with that time period. <laughs> this was the one from like a year or so ago that uh, they do in this show what they've done in a bunch of other shows of this sort lately is turn these historical generals and warriors and things into females. Because, you know, boobies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got Jordan's attention. Well, I've seen a few of those, and some actually are pretty good and pretty it's funny. It's good that you've seen a few boobs. <laughs> uh, it's not, I, I was a little worried about you for a while. It's <laughs> not what I meant. But. In this particular one, you can stop laughing over there. No, no, I can't. I lost him. In this particular show, uh, modern-day Japanese high schooler is thrown back in the past. It doesn't really explain why. To this time frame, he's a... Huge historical nut. He's totally into this time frame and the video games that go along with it. So he knows what's going on. He's really excited to be there, you know, as much as you can be getting thrown around in time. And ends up becoming a retainer for Oda Nobunaga, who is the female Oda Nobunaga, who at the time is trying to basically conquer Japan. 
with his knowledge of history and things that are going on, he's actually extremely useful and not afraid to muck with the timeline, which makes him a very interesting lead. It's not the usual milk toast lead you get in a lot of shows, but he's very active in trying to manipulate history to work out for his liege's sake. It turned out to be a, a good amount of fun. I actually like the show. I would like to see more of it if they'd ever make more. How many apps? Twelve, I believe. And is that available on DVD or is that only online right now? Only on Crunchyroll. Okay. Uh, might be on some other sites. Crunchyroll is the only one I know of. Then uh started watching Cardfight Vanguard. It's an anime series that's made to sell the Cardfight Vanguard card game. And that's pretty much all it is. It's gone three seasons and over 100 episodes. You think it's got to be worth more than that somewhere along the way, but not as far as I've gotten. The game doesn't look that interesting, so the fights are kind of boring, and the stuff outside the fights is even more boring. Unfortunate. But maybe it'll get good eventually. I'll just keep going through it. Don't do it. (laughs) If I say I watch everything, I really do, (laughs) even if it hurts. Uh, Watch a couple of short-form shows on Crunchyroll, Sparrow's Hotel and Aira. By short form, I mean like three-minute-long episodes in each uh, 12-episode series. Sparrow's Hotel, not a good version of one. Aira, it is a good version of one. I like that one quite a bit. Getting out of the streaming realm, watching on DVD and or Blu-rays. Starting off the month, I watched Junjo Romantica, both seasons, 24 episodes total. And again, when I say I watch everything, sometimes it's stuff I wouldn't normally be interested in watching. In this case, it's a Shonen Eye or BL, or Boys Love series, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's about male-male relationships. Now, I have no problem with those shows in general, except that they're always poorly written. They're just so darn shallow and boring. This one, however, was actually much more honest, much more intelligent. It was one of the best I've seen of the genre, so I'll give it props for that. I'm shallow and boring, so I'm target audience. I never said I liked you. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> Moving along, I watched the uh, Blu-ray release of Horizon in the Middle of Nowhere 2. Ah, such beautiful nonsense. <laughs> this series has everything you can kind of imagine in it. Ninjas, giant robots, witches, demons, technomages, shrine maidens, and so on and on and on and on and on. All in this crazy world, they got really wild, over-the-top character designs. It's huge, epic, you know, futuristic. It has some of the most fantastic artwork I've seen in a TV show, especially the battles. They're just amazing to watch these fights as witches are fighting giant robots and samurais are fighting a baseball team, you know, just everything you can imagine going on. <laughs> but all this is going on top of this political and economic uh, mess that's almost Game of Thrones level complicated. And I'm not joking. It is really involved with all the different factions and politics and all the stuff going on in the show. And it's only two, two 12 episode seasons as well. I think the creators either said, well, we'll hope they watch or read the original novels or they said, eh, screw it. We we don't expect you to keep up. We'll just throw it all on the screen anyway. <laughs> Because stuff is going on and on, and they do so many intense things with their battles, and then their political debates and economic trade disputes are as exciting as their battles in the show. Just everything is so intense, but while I'm sitting there watching, I'm thinking, you know, I don't understand the repercussions of this or, or the implications of what's going on, and half the time I don't even understand who won. 
<laughs> but gosh darn is exciting to watch. <laughs> the whole time I'm just totally gripped by it and like, wow, I don't know what it is, but it looks great. <laughs> and this is Horizon in the Middle of Nowhere? Horizon in the Middle of Nowhere. All right. Yeah. Quite unique in, in what it does and what it tries to do. I can't like recommend it as a great show, but something about it, it's just, like I said, beautiful nonsense. I would really enjoy it if they made a third season of it, because there's so much more story to tell, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this short movie, New Hurricane Polymer, from back in the 80s. Kind of your usual guy gets superhero powers, fights evil organization movie, no big deal. Except that it was directed by Akiyuki Shinbu, who's one of my favorite directors working today for his very eclectic style. And this, you know, it's kind of before that time. We could still see some of his stylings in the movie. It was kind of neat that way. And I've been watching bit by bit Kyato Ninden Tiandi, also known as Legendary Ninja Cats, or best known in, by its Americanized version, Samurai Pizza Cats, which I've never actually seen Samurai Pizza Cats, oddly. But I'm um, now watching the Japanese version, and it's a kid show. That's about all I can say about it. Uh, watch the 24-episode series Lovely Complex from 2004, I believe, also known as Love Heart Com, uh, which is a romantic comedy about a norm, fairly normal high school girl, uh, cute, intelligent, and overly tall. She's much taller than the average Japanese person. Which, if it's kind of hard for a tall girl in the U.S., it's much harder for such a girl in Japan. And it's her growing relationship with her best friend, who's kind of the shortest boy in class. Now, fortunately, I think, they didn't really focus on the tall, short thing all that much. It was really much more focused around best friends kind of crossing that barrier over time and trying to feel it out and try to figure out what each other's feelings on the matter are, trying to understand themselves. So it was actually a pretty good show as far as romantic comedy of that type. I, I enjoyed it a fair amount. Watched the latest Pokemon movie, Kyrium vs. The Sword of Justice. As most Pokemon movies, it's actually a, two steps better than it needs to be. So kind of fun. The latest One Piece release, which is Season 5, Part 2, up to Episode 287. You know, One Piece, you know I love you. You know I'll forgive you, but five recap episodes in a row... Dear One Piece. <laughs> Five in a row, really. And here there's like, they're all building up to the big, you know, climactic battle of the best arc I've seen yet. And oh, come on, guys. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the next set. <laughs> Just before I watched this series, Suritama, which is about fishing. It's also about aliens and secret organizations and saving the world, but mostly about fishing. <laughs> My favorite viewer. We called it one of the best shows of 2012. I don't really agree, but it was a good show anyway. It was enjoyable. This wasn't great. It was good. Then watch the series Shining Hearts, which is part of the Shining series, Shining Force, classic series of video games. They've had many video games since, and a few animes based on them. This is based on the latest PSP game, Shining Hearts. It's a series about bread, about making bread. (laughs) There's an awful lot of bread. (laughs) My first thought was, Wow, is this an ad for a bakery? Oh, and then my second thought was, I wish I had some of that bread. <laughs> There's some other stuff that goes on. There's kind of a storyline, but man, they can't go five minutes in that show without someone talking about how great the bread is. <laughs> it's kind of overbearing after a while. Is bread a drug? <laughs> I start to wonder. 
Like, oh, Rick, your bread is so good. Okay. <laughs> That's a euphemism. <laughs> that, the best thing I want. <laughs> Calm down over there. <laughs> Boobies. Nah. The best thing I watched lately, though, was the series Another, a horror series that came out in 2012. It was just released by Sentai Filmworks, Blu-ray with a wonderful dub. It's about uh, a young boy, uh, high school age, who moves into a fairly small city, uh, joins up a new class, and he's given kind of a lot of side looks and glances. They're not mean to him, but it's kind of a, a strange feeling about it all. And then there's a girl in the class who no one acknowledges or even maybe even sees, except for this boy. And there's other strange things, too, like one of the class officers is in charge of countermeasures. And no one wants to explain anything to him and doesn't know why. As it starts to build up, suddenly the bodies start appearing. Or rather, people turn into bodies in gruesome ways. And uh, as it unfolds and you start to learn the secrets of this little city and what's going on with this class and all that stuff, uh, it's a fantastic piece of horror that I had me grip the entire time. And I kind of wished I hadn't eaten food just before watching it <laughs> at some points. But uh, excellent uh, horror series. That's it for me. You want to go or you want me to go? I'll go. Okay. I have a relatively small list. Because it's summer and I'm not watching much. The usual stuff, really, Strike Back has started on Cinemax, uh, Newsroom as continuing on HBO. And Longmire is almost wrapped up for the season. And then Sarah and I went to see City of Dust. Um... She liked it. <laughs> glowing review. <laughs> that that was actually pretty glowing. <laughs> okay, that it? That's it. Okay, let's see. TV-wise, Dexter's coming close to an end here. So we've been watching that. The True Blood finale was last week. No, a week before. So we finished that off. And uh, since Megan's getting ready to go on her trip, we've been trying to power watch something to get it off our DVR so that there's room while she's gone to record everything that she's not going to be here to watch. So we power watched Defiance. So we got through all of Defiance. In fact, we watched the final uh, last night, actually. We finally got to that. I liked it. Good show. So I'm looking forward to the next season. Movie-wise... Uh, War of the Dead, which I don't remember because I put it on his background and I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. Uh, Detention of the Dead, The Man with the Iron Fists, which I watched specifically because I know you've been asking for it and then found out that you've watched it now. Oblivion, that was that was really good. Did you see Oblivion? Yeah, yeah, that was actually a really good movie. The World's End, we did get to go see that this past weekend. Not my favorite of the three, but it was good. And uh, I think that's all I had down for watching. All right. What we're reading slash listening to. On the reading slash listening side. On the listening side right now, I've got Necessary Evil. I'm not sure if I mentioned that last time. I think I might have. But I'm still reading it, listening to it, because mm-hmm. I went to Gen Con, and then I was medicated for the better part of a week <laughs> and a half. So I wasn't doing much. Not because of Gen Con. No, no. <laughs> so this is the third book in the uh, Ian Tregellis series, The Milkweed Triptych. This is the Alt-World yep. War mm-hmm. II with the warlocks and the techno-enhanced uh, Germans. So 
since it was called a triptych, I'm assuming this is the final chapter. And it's uh, I'm enjoying it as much as the last two, so it's really good. On the comic side, I read Revival uh, from Image that you left me, lent me. <laughs> the, not quite zombies, yeah. but the people returning from the dead in rural Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Some might make an argument that it's based on reality. <laughs> and it was very enjoyable. The characters are good. Little triangle of father, daughter, and sister. Uh, and they're two cops and a reviver. It was pretty good. Spoilers. Hey, it's an old book. Well, not old, but it's been out for a while. Yeah, I think they're like working on the second volume. I mean, I know they've kept going, but I think they're working on a second volume here soon. So when you get that, I will read it. I finished uh first book of the Mistborn trilogy, The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. This is the dude that wrote the first book of the Stormlight trilogy. Uh Who knows how long that's going to be. I made an assumption it was trilogy, but then he said he wants it to be like 10 books, I think. Something stupid like that. Just because you're finishing off a Robert Jordan series, you know, dude. You know, people were just gushing about this. So I thought, you know, I got to check this out because it's apparently like the bee's knees. But I thought it was only very good. <laughs> Certainly not uh <laughs> the bee's ankles. <laughs> no, it's the way he went about it. And anybody else would be like, "Yeah, this was very good." He's like, mm, "This was only very good." <laughs> best. A thumbs up, I guess. <laughs> Just- I I am the I am the Carl of books. <laughs> nice. Carl. I mean, it was enjoyable. Like I said in my Goodreads review, this is like the end of the revolution. There's been this like failing revolution that's been going on for like a thousand years. And then this is finally deposing the king. Uh, and the next two books are, I assume, going to be the fun and hilarity of rebuilding an <laughs> empire uh, that is now fractured. <laughs> so this is like the end of the adventure, you know, where where the, the trilogy traditionally ends and mm-hmm. then you're left with all the high ideas. Well, we, now we've got all the high ideas, but there's still two more books to come. <laughs> so, I mean, they say as a whole, it's really excellent reading. And I was not disappointed in this. It just it didn't live up to the hype. So, But this is still... The end of the first book. Yeah, this is okay. just the first book. Gotcha. So there's two more to come. It's it's an interesting world. He he's done magic. You know, he in this and in Stormlight, he does magic really, really differently and really, really well. In Stormlight, uh, you know, your magic users kind of charge up from or or get their charge from uh the Stormlight. They have these little orbs that go out, and these orbs are also money, but they also power people's magic. In Mistborn, it's based on metals. There's uh ferrochemy and allomancy. So there are people that can imbibe uh, small pieces of metal, and I think there's eight, or you're given eight at the starting, and each one has a different, uh, allows you a different ability to influence emotions, make people, you know, more calm or more angry. They let you kind of be uh, magnetic to pull things towards you or repulsive. <laughs> to to push metal things away from you. So um, you've eaten that. Yes, <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. I am magnetic. Um, stuff like that. I was going with repulsive. Oh, no, no. It's, come on, this is a ten. So <laughs> it's it's very good on a scale of a hundred. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and Don steps in the ring. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's really interesting metal and uh, uh, magic. And the other one, uh, ferrochemy. They they don't imbibe the metal, but they put knowledge or abilities in the metal. So if, uh, dude knows he's going to be like really need to be really strong in a week to, uh, move a boulder, 
he will put his strength for a week into a piece of metal and be weak for the week prior to it. But then he hulks out on Friday and moves the boulder and everything is good. <laughs> and then he goes back to his normal life. So it's a couple interesting takes on, on magic. Something a little bit different than your standard uh, finger wiggling. And then I also finished uh, Setaganda, which is another Miles Vorkosigan book, uh, Lois McMaster Bujold. Spy dude doing spy stuff. They're always short but enjoyable. They're fast-paced. They, from point A to point B, really quick but really enjoyable. It's, uh, you know, if if you read the first one, it's it's just all, it's the same story. Every, well, it's not the same story, but it's the same uh, format every time. Some sort of mistaken identity leads to the, you know, the politicking and the, the secrecy that's going to go on uh, to uh, prevent the epic battle from happening. But, you know, the Vorkosingen books, they're really good. She does a really good job of it. Uh, there's always just a little bit of dry humor there to offset what could be some fairly dry politicking. So, yeah, always enjoyable stuff. So check those out. And that's what okay. I got. Don, you got anything? Yeah, I actually have been reading something what? lately. What? I'm sure it'll shock everyone to know that it's related to an anime series. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, Boogie Pop at Dawn, the fourth Boogie Pop novel, which is a Japanese light novel series that uh, – Popular Japanese light novel series that I've I've enjoyed quite a bit. I enjoyed the Boogie Pop Phantom anime series, so I picked up these. And this fourth book, it, so far, has been good. It's probably my second favorite after the first book so far. Well, for me, uh, I'm still not reading things that don't have pictures. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not into a hardcore read session yet. And to uh, drawings with words, yeah, it's a good song. And. Uh, in an effort, I guess, for Jordan and I to give each other stuff back, <laughs> uh, he borrowed me Hack Slash, the Omnibus Volume 2 and 3. I gave him back Volume 2 because I did finish that one. And I'm about a little over halfway done with Volume 3. So that's kind of what I've been focusing on. So getting my comic on, I guess, at this point. I almost bought the uh, Pathfinder stuff because you, re- you said it was pretty good and it was on sale up till yesterday. And then I didn't at the last minute now it's i gotta go look at it again but i i thought about i saw it pop up in comiXology and i'm like jordan said this was pretty decent and we're playing the game so my well and i saw all the names yeah recognize you'll learn about your your dwarven ranger yeah so (laughs) i uh i almost bought that and i might still so other than that uh listening uh, I was going to, a couple things. One, I haven't listened to them yet because I won't even get into it, but oh, my. I have an ad when you're done. Okay. But uh, an ad? Like, something are we selling something? <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn. Um, We're pimping ourselves, yeah. but we ain't selling anything. I haven't listened to them yet, but the recaps for the last couple of We're Alive seasons. I'm finding it out. hard to hold out. I know. So uh, the, the next sex season of We're Alive is coming out here soon. And, of course, I listened to the podcasting 101 that they did where they talked about how they put together their radio drama. On top of that, podcasting 101 is basically I want to pimp Jason's podcast again because Jordan and I were actually on it here recently. Woohoo! So uh, there's an All Us Geeks 101 out there uh, underneath uh, the podcasting 101 feed. So if you want to hear a little behind the scenes, uh, it's not... It's not huge because I think we got into a couple of side topics and and didn't quite answer as many questions as Jason usually likes to ask. But uh, you get a little bit of a background idea of what goes into how we put the show together, I guess. So that's what I had. What's your ad? X Heroes. I don't know if I heard oh, yeah. that from you or yep. somebody else. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the the book or yes. You, okay. 
Yeah, I liked it. I just got through the origin of uh, what the Crimson Dragon. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The I want to get the next one. It, it's. I don't know. It is either. It's probably out by now. I know when I finished X Heroes, it wasn't out yet. But I think I think it might be out by now. So I should go. Expatriates, I think, is the next one. What we're playing, Don? What do you got? Did you play anything at Gen Con? I know you're, you know, just in your room the whole time and avoiding right. everybody. I played a lot of things. <laughs> so I had this weird ability to find all the prototypes at Gen Con. Nice. Almost everything I play is a prototype for some reason. I don't try to sign up for them. I just, I get to, I'm, oh, it's another prototype. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't even write down all the names of them, but it was, you know, some good, some bad prototypes. Uh, a couple games I did play that. You know, if you hang out in that double exposure first play first test play hall that's usually what you're going to play <laughs> I, I might as well just do that because that's free right yeah instead of paying for all these ones i played princess of the dragon throne which was on kickstarter fairly oh, yeah, recently it yeah it's a area control slash deck building game that's okay it's decent and as i mentioned before i played uh an rpg of the success success system which it's a system that they have a lot of different skins on the skin that I played twice now, their Dark Ether, I think they call it. It's a high steampunk, high fan, high sci-fi steampunk. So you take um, steampunk airships and fly between worlds, and there's alien races and stuff. So it's a pretty cool universe. That's why I wanted to do it again at Gen Con. But only after no sleep? <laughs> that was not in the plan. When I saw that was late Saturday night. I'm thinking, wow, I thought I could do that earlier. Okay. <laughs> On the video game side... I finally finished Disgaea 2 after many months. I actually beat this one. I started playing Tales of Zillia, which just came out here. Playing with that with a friend, co-op RPG. It's been fun. I have a group that I play online with every Sunday night, a bunch of my cousins. We've been playing Torchlight 2 lately, which is kind of yeah. a Diablo cone. It's pretty fun. I've been enjoying I like that. The, I like the Torchlight games. And uh, Chivalry Medieval Warfare, which I've gotten fairly good at busting people's heads open in that game. Gravwell, of course. Uh, Corey Young taught me Gravwell at Gen Con. That was a lot of fun. That was one of the few things I actually sat down and learned at Gen Con. Uh, otherwise, we played uh, Cards Against Humanity one one late night and uh, Manhattan Project. I think that's pretty much almost all I played at Gen Con. Because I know there were a lot of games going on around me, but I don't... Do you call, I think that's really all I played at Gen Con. I don't think we sat down together at anything else that I can recall. So, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah. Very, very bizarre. Met a lot of people, though. <laughs> uh, and then, let's see. Uh, just released this week was the uh, game preview video over on our YouTube channel. But Megan and I played a bunch of Havoc and Hijinks, and that's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, Adam... Gave me a demo deck to bring home, and we played that and then did a preview video for it over on YouTube. So that uh, was a lot of fun. As usual, Megan is looking very happy to be on camera. <laughs> yeah, especially the uh, only week we're home together before she leaves. Yeah, yeah. It's good times, good times. <laughs> of course, uh, you know, we reviewed the Pathfinder Adventure card game, but I just want to I put that on my list. Usually if it's for straight demo purposes, I don't necessarily talk about it in gameplay, but like I said uh, earlier, I played a lot of that above and beyond needing to review it. 
I have been playing uh, Temple Run 2 a lot again right now because uh, I have a new phone, so everything's reset. <laughs> so I got to go through and uh, get all my achievements again. And this Good luck on that 10 million grand. Yeah, I told you that, right? I yeah. was at over 5 million of that, and that was the only thing I had left on my old phone. <laughs> and then reset. <laughs> and then uh, Megan and I have been playing this past week uh, as well, Saints Row 4. So we've been playing a lot of that, uh, waiting for Grand Theft Auto to come out, which comes out while she's gone, I believe, so she's not happy about that part. Uh, it'll but... be pushed back again. <laughs> Uh, 2014. But, no. Actually, she'd probably be happy if it's pushed back again. <laughs> then, then she gets the best of both worlds. She gets her trip. And then the and game. And then the game won't be sitting here waiting for her. So, uh, really, that's all I could think of that I've been playing recently. So, what you got? I got in a ridiculously fun amount of Attack Wing at Gen Con. And? That's- Staff more people, Nika, really. The players shouldn't be demoing your game for you for almost two hours. You're welcome. Are you happy? No, our, our audience is, are you, you're welcome. There's, you're welcome, Jonathan. There's the rant, John, yes. <laughs> Got in a good game, a good uh, Saturday of Heroclix this past weekend. We had two, uh, two events on Saturday, and I did uh, surprisingly well with what I drafted. Thought I was going to do poorly, but uh, a couple of the figures that I relied on, uh, I ran two different teams with two Lady Death Strikes on them, and she can really kick ass. So she's a w- very worthwhile character for only like seventy six points. As mentioned, we've been playing a lot of the Pathfinder card game, card game. When I'm, <laughs> I'm focusing my you know, Ben Affleck it's the a card wicked, game, it's wicked hard. It's, it's, it's a wicked, wicked good card game. Borrowed the Bioshock trilogy from Jordal, but could only make it through <laughs> the right. first half of the first game. I forgot. And then that. I returned all that. I. <laughs> no. Uh, on the phone, I've been doing a lot of continuing uh, with Chip Chain and Zombie Highway. Those are good. Uh, you know, I got 10 minutes to waste, or I'm stuck on a meeting that doesn't really pertain to me. Meeting. <laughs> meeting. <laughs> I demoed uh, Trains and Stations at Gen Con, really enjoyed that, so I will probably be ordering that once it becomes available on Amazon for pre-order. They they claim it's going to be October. WizKid says it's going to be October, but they haven't confirmed that anywhere yet. So They say it's the dice are being cut and the boards are being made right now, so hopefully. Got in High Command, the uh, Iron Kingdoms, War Machine and Hordes deck builders played both of them. I enjoyed them both equally. I haven't played them at four players. I'd like to try them at four players, but I think uh, despite their attempt to make both these games three and four player games, I think they really should just be two player two players, games. That's what I, yeah, I think that's what Lance was saying too. And the other thing that I played uh, at Gen Con, I'm still debating whether or not I should buy this, <laughs> is oh. a deck builder called uh, Tanto uh, Tanto Core or Core. I don't know. Anyways, it's it's essentially Dominion, or the, it, the entire core mechanic is the same as Dominion, but it's uh, French maids, and the drawing is uh, kind of anime-ish style, so it's all very cheeky. No, no, nothing explicit, but it's all very cheeky. French maids, a little bit of bending over, a little bit of hands down, kind of Marilyn Monroe kind of thing. <laughs> I love the art in that game. Yeah, so so you know what? Yeah, I saw it a couple times at Gen Con. Yeah. 
it's it's really simple and it's it, mechanically it's very sound, but thematically it's like Sarah's not going to play this with me. <laughs> I, I thought about getting it myself, but like it's just another Dominion and it's fifty dollars for the set. I exactly. Think. Like, uh, it's okay. Fifty dollars for each box. They have two expansions, each that add characters and 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 stuff, but each expansion, each box is fifty dollars. I'm like, I. Can't talk myself into fifty bucks for one, let alone one hundred and fifty for all three. <laughs> Especially not on day three. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's what I've been playing. All right. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this actually during the review. I don't think we did. Oh, and Alpha Strike. I actually played. Uh, just be quiet, Jeff. <laughs> the Catalyst's uh, Alpha Strike, BattleTech Alpha Strike, which is their uh, their attempt to turn their. Their grid game into a, a measure game, and I think it works pretty well. They really streamlined a lot of the mechanics. Uh, they say it simplified it. The demo dude kept saying simplifying, so I'm like, uh, almost anything would be simplifying that game. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's a ridiculous amount of work for a minis game. It's still a very enjoyable game. So I'll say streamlining because I think that dude was just being a little bit snobby about being a BattleTech <laughs> hardcore fan. But uh, that was pretty enjoyable. Wow! Well, once I can get some cards, I might actually get some of the the mechs too <laughs> hey uh since we're in playing what did you think of the crossfire demo since you i liked it. it it definitely makes me wish they would pick a date and stick to it because <laughs> it's been pushed back twice according to my csi order <laughs> i'm looking forward to it it was obviously it's not the full game right but what i saw i liked it seemed mechanically pretty sound i don't know if it's going to have the same impact as this but again, it was just short demos, not uh, not the full game. But there was a definite, there was a flavor there of being a Shadowrun game. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what I was going to say. Oh, and. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if we mentioned this during the review, but uh, we are going to try probably once a month or so. We're going to try to get in the campaign play for Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. So. Uh, we should hopefully be talking about that a little bit more in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that goes. And the other thing, uh, Don, apparently I've got a movie to rewatch. You want to tell me what I need to rewatch here for a different podcast? Oh yeah, <laughs> Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. So uh, I actually gave you a recommendation. Don requested that we that the two bald geeks watch Freddy versus Jason and give our opinion on that. Which uh, I guess I gave it away. Well, Cyrus is so. Far behind in his podcast, he probably won't hear this before that actually happens. But uh, we, him, and I still need to reschedule our state of the emergency because uh, we crossed wires on that, and I tried to get it rescheduled before Gen Con. Somehow he started thinking we were going to record it at Gen Con, and then when we were at Gen Con, he's like, "We're not going to record this at at Gen Con." I'm like, "Exactly." So now we just got to figure out a date. So apparently, state of the emergency is now going to be probably be September. Or they'll we'll release two in September or something like. But uh, since we asked for requests and we got one, Freddy versus Jason will be after state of emergency. So, all right. Well, that brings us to the end. I think we got the cobwebs out okay for not recording for a little while. Although, I mean, we have been recording quite a bit actually, uh, just not in this format. Thanks for hanging out with us once again. I'm Jeff King. And I'm the Canadian. Thanks for listening.
out a hundred thousand comics carefully collected and all the action figures for them carefully selected the posters and promotions for each superhero movie my ringtone Frank Verder and Ash saying I've got each permutation of the Xbox and PlayStation my anime collection is the finest in the nation